So welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, we're back with our first review show in quite some time. Uh, as a lot of people know, the comic industry, like many industries at the moment, had been on a bit of a pause. Obviously, a little bit of a reevaluation given the uh, the pandemic that's going on in the world right now. But we actually got a delivery last week, which were titles scheduled originally to come out in March. But they actually came out this time with the 13th of May uh, on sale date. So uh, your host is always Alan from Coffee and Heroes. I'm delighted to be joined by Keith here. And, hey, and Roddy as well. Roddy there as well. So once again, we're coming to you through the magic of Tinternet, uh, the magic of Skype. And uh, yeah, boy, six weeks since our last review show. So uh, what's everyone been up to in that time? Ooh, well, I mean been a long old six weeks hasn't it and it was a fair few weeks without without comics so um i guess i was uh i mean work is works really busy for me um sort of because not only has the comic industry collapsed or, or been on hiatus but so has the music industry and there's a lot of uh a lot of musicians out there who aren't able to earn money through 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 gigs and and so forth so uh the charity that i work for has been doing her best to try and to try and step in there and, and support where possible. So it's I'm probably busier now than I have been uh, whenever I'm, I'm, I'm we're not in a lockdown. But um, I mean, aside from that, Alan was kind enough to lend me the uh, the first two um, volume, massive volume. What do you call that volume? It is called the Smorgasbord Edition. Smorgasbord Edition. That's the first like thirty issues or something. Yeah, it? it's a, it's a, akin to the Absolute Editions that uh, DC do. So it it would have been the first. I would say eighteen issues. Two came in at sixty issues, I think. So it would be about the first twenty, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was really fantastic. The story of uh, Tony Chu, the, uh, the the Shibopath, mm-hmm. isn't that right? He can uh, whenever he tastes something, he can uh, he can he can understand its its background and its story, and sees that as visions and set in the in the near future where chicken has been banned and is uh is now in the black market market product and uh the the uh the department of, of food is is like the the top agency in america it's really really good stuff really tongue-in-cheek um you know and uh it, it's really making me look forward to a the next smorgasbord edition or whatever way you're going to give it to me the singles um and also farmhand uh, whenever it comes back in, in, in a couple of weeks time uh, i've also been reading why the last man i'm a third of the way through that i know that's one of your favorites alan oh the very favorite it is just mm, um, top-notch storytelling yeah the, i mean a, a great a great story really uh really edge of your seat sort of stuff um a story of a, of a plague that that wipes out sort of all the all the males whether animal or human um on the face of the planet and and Apart from one, apart from one guy, and uh, and it goes from there. So also Red Happy, which uh, which Vicky was kind enough to lend me, Grant Morrison's uh, <laughs> great great series. So really enjoyed that. It's uh, inspired me to get around to watching the TV show. Um, it's interesting with Happy because when you break it down, it's a story about an imaginary friend who helps this down and out cop to try and find these kidnapped girls. And you talk about a blue unicorn and an imaginary friend, and it's probably one of the most straightforward Grant Morrison stories you'll ever read. So, uh, (laughs) you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, so yeah, so I've been reading, reading plenty of, plenty of stuff and I was really glad to get my hands on, uh, on my pull list last Wednesday. Um, a lot of titles, um, but still really glad to see it and uh, really glad to spend the way the, the week working my way through it. Um, other than that, we've watched our way through uh, Ozark season three. Um, 
and we've uh, staying in the same sort of uh, vein, I guess, Roddy, where we uh, we just finished Narcos season one and have started Narcos season two. Such a show, the story nice. of uh, of uh, of Pablo Escobar and uh, and and trying to, you know, that that whole Colombian drug war and and all of that stuff, you know, in the, the late eighties and uh, yeah, all through the eighties, I guess, you know. So really enjoying that. I know it's it's not a new one, but I just didn't get around to watching it at the time. Um, yeah. Phenomenal show, really is, and uh, on the on the our continuing uh, odyssey through the Infinity Saga, we're just about to we just finished Black Panther, and we're just about to head into Infinity War. So uh, coming to the end of that, um, picked up uh, a couple of games in the PlayStation Four um, Journey. I think I told you about that's one that you really enjoy, Roddy. Oh yeah, um, fantastic! Just playing in one sitting that that soundtrack by. Um, I think it's Austin Allen Wintery, I think is his name. Uh-huh. I I listen to that all the time. It's brilliant. Uh, I must, must check <laughs> that out. That's a brilliant actually, soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and then conversely then, I'm, I'm still playing on a Deep in No Man's Sky, but I've also got this uh, it's a recent console release called uh, Stranded Deep. It's a survival sim. You know, you... you you're you're a, like a businessman in a plane, and uh, and in the cutscene at the start, the, the plane crashes, uh, and you 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 surface um, with a with a, a yellow life raft, and you paddle your way to an island, and it's all about like like crafting a knife in order that you can cut down this, in order that you can build a fire and build a water collector, and just try and survive. So it's it's right up my street. So really really enjoying that as well. So so yeah, doing a bit of playing a bit of D and D with my uh, Dungeons and Dragons um, for the for the uninitiated. Uh, with uh, with a bunch of my old buddies on uh, on Discord, and uh, keen to go back to a game with you guys as well. And uh, yeah, just just uh, I have to say, there's there's some silver linings to this whole being locked in the house, Lark. I have to say. <laughs> and how about well, you, Roddy? What not... you been up to? Um, well, I'm still going to work. Um, and so many people. Nothing's changed for you then. Uh, <laughs> it has and it hasn't because work. Um, it's no longer nine to five, Monday to Friday. Um, due to social distancing, we've um, our office has been sort of, let's just say a couple of weeks ago, wasn't the greatest of places to be with the social distancing. But um, now it's all sort of changed. There's legislation in and it's being taken very seriously, which is something like us as staff members were wanting for some time. So just means we our shifts are lessened a little bit. So we might be down to like three days a week, three and a half days a week, which ain't a bad thing. <laughs> so that leaves me a lot of time to be writing. And I've also, I'm sort of on a an odyssey uh, at the moment. Uh, after I finished The Mandalorian, been, been on a Star Wars kick, fellas. Ooh, yeah, um, I wouldn't consider myself a, a Star Wars guy. I think I've seen all the films bar Solo, which I'm going to get to next. But um, yeah, really, I'm enjoying my way through the prequels. First two, I really enjoyed, but obviously filled with loads of problems. And then I actually thought Revenge of the Sith was really good. And then... Rogue One was fantastic in my book, but um, obviously the prequels, <laughs> Anakin and Padme together is just what I don't know what they were thinking, but it's those two actors apart. I think they're fantastic, but together it is just some 
weird combination that just does not work. But um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really digging. It's like I, ne- I didn't think I was a Star Wars guy, but then I'm watching it and I'm like, maybe I am a Star Wars guy. I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've also been doing a lot of writing. Um, yeah, and been playing God of War as well. Been going back through that. Um, the it's God of War four technically on the PS4 and. Good for the old uh, the Norse mythology knowledge, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And apart from that, yeah, just doing a lot of cycling, doing a lot of running. Um, quite lucky, I think, in some ways, because I am going to work. I have a vague routine, so I don't really know what other people are going through in this sort of time, because I'm I am mostly going to work during the week. But um, I have to say, I'm I'm enjoying the time off, trying to make the most of it, you know. Nice one. What about you, Alan? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's obviously for us, we obviously had to close the store with everything that's going on, but we haven't really stopped since. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to get access once a week through the security guard. Uh, Wayne, he has to go down and flush the pipes and check the fuses, and there's a few other traders going in getting bits and pieces, but... Yeah, we've we've been working every every single day since we left. Uh, we've been organizing our back stock. We've been getting it all labeled and all in alphabetical order. We've actually done all of the stock that was upstairs completely, and we wow. not um, we. Uh, <laughs> th- this is the thing. I I naively thought for a long long time, you know, oh, I'll just do it in store when I've got five minutes spare. I'll bring a box down and it'll be done in no time. That took us solidly two months to do all of that uh brand new boxes completely reorganized everything together just as you're discovering a love of star wars roddy i'm discovering more and more of a hatred of it due to the action figure variants that i had to organize in that comic club uh but no we've we've got all that uh done we've we've been uh working on some things behind the scenes as well we're we're not fully ready just to announce yet but rest assured we've been working really hard just to make sure that when we come back the store is actually in better shape than when we had to leave it unfortunately but uh in terms of the releases themselves we started getting deliveries again for the first time last week hence the wonderful issues we're going to be discussing uh throughout this podcast but from now on for certainly for the next six to seven weeks what's going to happen is diamond obviously want to respect social distancing and keep their workforce light and less people in the warehouse and so forth so we're going to be getting fortnightly deliveries as opposed to weekly and you're going to sort of get two weeks collated into one delivery so as ever keep an eye on the social media posts uh you know we'll always keep everybody up to date with what's going on so you know we're recording this on the 19th of may there's no releases this week but next week we should have releases ready for sale on the 27th and then just from that we've we've talked about it on social media a lot and we've got in touch with loads of our regulars but we're more than happy to do a, a delivery service drop off to people's houses. Uh, we're also happy to post out if people prefer that. Um, you know, Vicky's kind enough to, to drive everywhere. We were all over Lisburn and Ards and Bangor and, and just so many places. Um, Carrick Fergus, yeah, we we would drive up there as well. So we're more than happy to do it. We understand the world is in a and is in a precarious state right now, and if you know, us dropping off a few comics can sort of help keep people occupied and keep their minds off things. We're more than happy to, uh, more than happy to do it. So, so yeah, keep an eye on social media for that kind of stuff. Outside of the store, been watching a lot of Twenty Four again from the very start. 
We're now up to season three. Uh, the show is every bit as good as I remember because Jack because Jack Barr essentially is a superhero. I think that's why it appeals to me so much. The man's clearly invulnerable, uh, but that's kind of the joy of the show. Uh, summer to you guys. Finished off Ozark. What a show. Uh, yeah. What an end to season three. See, see, for me, episode nine was the strongest episode of the season uh, for reasons I certainly wouldn't go into because that is a show that I recommend to everybody and I say go in knowing as little as possible about it. Be- Absolutely. Because it is pure adult, intelligently, intelligently written and acted entertainment it is up there with sopranos with breaking bad i know i haven't seen it but i know you talk a lot keith about the wire um Mm -hmm. it is just you know make sure your phone's off make sure no one's going to disturb you and just get sucked into that world i'm a massive massive fan of ozark yeah i couldn't agree more um my only i do have the worry about the old three i think if it's given a chance it will be in the future mentioned above those lofty um other tv shows but it's netflix you know that's my worry well they get yeah three seasons will that be that yeah well they give stranger things a fourth season uh so and only way is black uh no sorry yeah it is orange is the new black sorry is another one that's got more than three seasons and so there are exceptions so at least there, there is a precedent there at least but you know, House of Cards as well. House of Cards, yeah. I mean, it's the kind of show that if for whatever reason they decided not to, which I can't say a reason why because it is successful both in terms of viewing figures because it, it came along at the perfect time as well. This is the thing. It came along just as obviously a lot of the um, the lockdown happened and therefore people were streaming more entertainment. So, But it's critically well received. It's, uh, it's won awards. I think it'll be fine. But yeah, you do have that worry in this world where there are... 29 seasons of NCIS uh, that we only get one season of uh, or sorry three seasons of uh, Ozark but hopefully not hopefully not uh, <laughs> but yeah other than that just uh, just bits and pieces been catching up a lot of reading uh, reading through a lot of my back catalogue uh, I've got a run of 70 issues of Daredevil to read due to Andy helping me out there uh, which uh, that all came about because the reason I wanted to read that run was uh, obviously one of the things we have done in our last six weeks. We had the pleasure of interviewing and chatting to Chip Zdarsky, which was a thoroughly, thoroughly wonderful evening. Wasn't it just? What an interesting guy. Um, I mean, the thing is, we, we have the podcast out there and uh, you can find it on our channel. You know, it's on Spotify, it's on, you know, Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, that podcast was about an hour and 40 minutes. We probably talked to him for about two and a half hours, you know, just yeah. really casually and just nice conversation. And yeah, I mean, it's it definitely one of the highlights of this lockdown for me, I would say. For he sure. Was, I mean, yeah. The, the man was uh, very generous with his time as well, because I think before we started, he was like, yeah, I mean, we could talk for an hour. And then <laughs> and we were like, have you met us? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we broke an exclusive on it, Alan, didn't we? We did, yeah. I mean, obviously, with my leanings towards DC and uh, my, you know, love of Chip's work in general, I sort of said, you know, if you weren't more of an exclusive, would you? Is there anyone at DC you'd like to write? And he just sort of said, you know, let let me just stop you right there. You know, I'm not more of an exclusive. And then three weeks later, tie in the death metal announced Chip Zdarsky writing. So that's that's step one to getting him on the DC ladder. So uh, it looks like Marvel's about to let another one of their best writers go. 
over to DC. <laughs> Will you see Jason Aaron will be following, Keith? Just you watch. As he says, exclusive, you see, is the, is the, is the trick there. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I guess there's some there's some joy in having a writer exclusive to, to uh, a particular company, but, you know, there's there's probably more joy in having them sort of free-floating and freelance, you know, and, and uh, being able to take contracts as and when, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, you look Spread at... Spread the love. You look at someone like Tom Taylor, you know, he balances it absolutely perfectly. You know, he's he's writing one of the best Spider-Man series in years, but then he's writing big events like Deceased over at DC. So, I mean, I I wish all writers were freelance. You know, I know we we joke about being territorial and all the rest, but I would love to see what Jason Aaron and Donny Cates would do at DC, and I'd love to see what, you know, Schneider and, you know, Tom Keane would do over at Marvel, you know. So Mm -hmm. I wish it was more like that, to be honest, but hey-ho. Rivalry must uh, continue. <laughs> but yeah, and that uh, yeah, as you say, Alan, just to reiterate, that podcast is available on all our all our channels, Spotify and uh, and SoundCloud and uh, and, and uh, Apple Podcasts as well. So so uh, take a wee look back down the list and uh, and check it out for sure. Because we also did uh, a lovely book club over the uh, magic of Skype too, didn't we? Well, this is the thing: if you're going to listen to one of our podcasts, listen to the Chips Adarski interview. If you're going to listen to two of our podcasts, listen to the Old Guard book club. Uh, Old Guard was a, was a great book club. I really thoroughly enjoyed that deep dive back into that world. And it was a great podcast. And you've also got a movie now coming in July. Uh, which on Netflix. Which is on Netflix. Netflix funded an exclusive with Charlize Theron in the main title role. Greg Rucka, the writer of the comic, is on board as the screenplay writer. And he's writing it. It's not like it's by committee and he threw in a few ideas. He's the sole writer credited on it. Uh, we saw a new poster today, but we'll we'll get a sense of it hopefully this Thursday. I'm not usually one as much as possible for watching trailers when a movie's just around the corner. But I have to say, I really want to see what the tone of that is like. Uh, but I'm... I'm they, uh, they released the poster today. Yeah, that's it. So the, the poster looked interesting enough. You know, movie posters in general, you know, we're obviously such big comic fans. We think every movie poster should look like a comic book cover, but obviously they're going to showcase the actors and, and so forth. But uh, no, I'm really looking forward to that, I have to say. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely something to keep an eye out for because based on all the the uh, <laughs> based on all the different uh, comic book movies that have been delayed and, and so forth, uh, it looks like this might have the summer to itself. Other than Vin Diesel's Bloodshot, of course, Roddy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's I. You know, we we just have to get out of lockdown so I can go see another film. That's, <laughs> that is the last film I saw in the cinema. I just need to clear I the palette, need, Roddy. Yeah, God, I need some. I need something. You know. Is that just? I think it? there is. There's another film based on a comic, The Last Days of American Crime, which looks interesting. Something I've not read, but yeah. Bloodshot. What were they doing? What were they doing? <laughs> I'll tell you. Speaking of uh, speaking of movies, I've been watching a, a few movies, obviously over the lockdown. Watched that uh, that uh, Tolkien um, movie they made last year. The one with uh, was it was it Nicholas Holt as as Tolkien? Yeah, yeah it was a bi- autobiography. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Really, really enjoyed that. That the the whole idea of his his life and the inspiration behind um, you know the writing of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and. Uh, his time in the Somme and his time then you know growing up as an orphan and and, uh, and through the through the English school system and all of that sort of stuff. So it was it was a very very good movie. Um, that and I also um, 
Also, I watched on Netflix just the other day the boy who harnessed the wind. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, if you've you've seen that. Um, it it starred. Um, I can't remember the actor's name. He uh, he played Mordo in uh, uh, Chewetel Eliofor. Mm-hmm. Uh, played Mordo in uh, Dark Doctor Strange, uh, and it's uh, it's uh, sort of based on a true story about a, a kid in in Malawi who uh, who used a windmill to to um, I guess. Uh, you know, bring water to the fields, you know, and uh, irrigate the fields whenever they, you know, it was, it's a really touching, really touching movie, really fantastic story. I'd highly recommend it. The boy who harnessed cool. the wind. And then, of course, and then, of course, just to finish off, you know, because I wasn't getting a subtle enough hint there, another movie you would have watched recently would have been Winter Soldier. That's very true. Very All, true also that? available in Book Club podcast form. So if you listen to three podcasts from us, after this one, of course. <laughs> Good save, Alan. Good save. Well, you know, when messages flash up on my screen, you know, it's communication is key. Is key, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a fun one to do, wasn't it? That was that was good crack. Yeah, good I mean, crack. that was one that uh, I think that's genuinely one of our longest podcasts. But I think that actually sort of speaks to the quality of both the book and the movie. Uh, there mm-hmm. was just a lot to uncover there, uh, and yeah, I think we naively thought like, oh, this will be like an hour long, hour twenty. Yeah, sort of double that and add some, but <laughs> yeah, that was one I really enjoyed. It was a real deep dive into, you know, because we had we had Keith, who was a really big lover of the comic, and you know, Alan, who I think you loved the film a lot more, and then I was somewhere in the middle. I think it was really, really, really interesting one. I thought, and I liked it because it it expanded, you know, our what we did with the book club so it was, it was a really good one that's one i'm really proud of and that was our first uh skype one i believe that's right yeah or yep. discord or whatever whatever it was <laughs> uh our, our first remote our first remote yeah. recording whatever um, we're having less problems with yeah yeah i think so i think so um is that is that is there anything else on the, on the news front or are we all caught up no not massively i wouldn't say um no, I think that's probably good enough for us. I mean, what we're here for with much excitement is the the chat about comics for the first time in nearly two months. Uh, <laughs> so it was great to get the pull list, you know, back and big shout out to you guys for delivering. Um, I was so chuffed just to get a, you know, like a handful of goodies, you know, it's like uh, yes. a four color care package. Finally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I was uh, actually cooking breakfast at the time and Vicky was sitting in the living room and a massive big orange TNT van pulled up outside and she leapt off the sofa and just shouted TNT. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she was she was a lot more sprightly and happy than the delivery driver who was clearly ag- uh... aghast at pulling in a massive van to our small street. So Vicky just Vicky wrote an ACDC song, is that right? She did. You know, we we were really hoping she was going to run out playing that, but well, but uh, no, it was great to get it. It was you know sort of some semblance of normality coming back to us, and you know getting those. You know, I'm not usually so happy to see the Diamond Comic Distributors logo because something's usually wrong, but uh, I've never been so happy to actually see a diamond box sitting in front of me with new material in it. So. Um, so yeah, they were they were essentially releases that were due originally in March. So what happened with the comic industry was it just sort of went on pause, uh, and it looks to be that they're just gonna pretty much pick it up again. So 
those titles originally solicited for March or for release in March, as I say, came to us for this week. So uh, it was a pretty mammoth week, certainly. Uh, I have to say I had the biggest week I've had in a long, long time with a total of 41 titles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was a big one. Uh, so 41 titles, but a really quite even split for them. I had 15 DC, I had 13 Marvel, and I had 13 Indie. Uh, how about yourself Roddy what was your breakdown Um, I had 11 singles and they included a whopping one Marvel Uh, 2D DC (gasps) stop the press I know more DC than Marvel Jesus Um, and then 8 indie books and then I had 2 trades as well which um, bumped up the numbers a wee bit yeah lovely Um, what about you Keith I was sitting on a nice round 30 titles, um, 8 DC, 14 Marvel, 8 Indie, so, uh, so that was that, 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 that's a nice, that's a nice standard curve. Um, yeah, we're true to form, to, true to yeah, form absolutely. with so, our return. So, so not bad, not bad. Um, and I mean, I guess what we're going to do, Alan, uh, just to, just to remind our, our listeners of the, the review format is, uh, is we'll, we'll all, uh, chat about our, our, our pick of this, pick of this pile pick of the week uh we're supposed to pick of the six weeks whatever um and uh and then we'll we'll hop into some honorable mentions and uh, and then some things that we're looking forward to uh, over the next couple of weeks and of course with that it is all going to be spoiler filled it is spoilers everywhere because we are excited to talk comics again after not being able to for a couple of months so uh Sorry, guys, in advance, but uh, the timestamps will be there. Of course, you can skip by certain um, certain ones we chat about if you like. Uh, but yeah, we're probably going to go pretty in depth here. So you have been warned. You have been warned. Final warning. Here we go. Spoiler filled. Uh, so yeah, uh, I for me this week. I mean, I I pick it all the time, so I'm going to skip over Curse of the White Knight. Uh, it's something. Just as I said, spoiler filled. I'm not going to spoil a thing. Just get it. See when it hits trade. That was the last issue. That was issue eight. I waited two months on that. I avoided the internet. I avoided spoilers. And I didn't find out how it ended in advance. I even resisted the urge to download a digital copy of it and read it because digital just ain't comics to me. Uh, So uh, lived up to expectations. Uh, When we had the delivery sitting here, we got about a box of it done. And then I came across White Knight. So I just sat and read it and forgot about the rest of delivery for 15 minutes. Uh, so uh, would that have been your biggest um, biggest title for this this kind of lockdown period? In terms, Always. yeah, in yeah. terms in terms of pull lists and so forth, absolutely. Uh, White Knight, White Knight's one of those books for us that just sells well because people have faith mm-hmm. in the creative team. Uh, everything about it screams quality. You know, it's. It's brilliantly written. It's not tied to any continuity. It's full of Easter eggs, but it tells you a sort of a new kind of story. And, you know, White Knight was massive for us. Curse of the White Knight was massive for us. And then I saw someone ask Murphy about the third one, which is going to be called Beyond the White Knight. And uh, apparently it's about a year away. So I've no doubt it'll get even bigger again, hopefully. So. Yeah, but I'm not going to talk about it because uh, we always look back over our picks of the week and in the interest of variety, uh, I think I picked issue three as pick of the week, issue four as pick of the week, issue five as pick of the week, issue six as pick of the week. We'll, we'll leave it there. Seven, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be good. So, no, for me, outside of White Knight, uh, the title that stood out most for me this week was Punisher Soviet. 
So like White Knight, this was the last issue of a miniseries, just six issues for this one. Uh, it was a return to the Marvel Max Comics um, label, so very much adult storytelling. It was great to see Garth Ennis back on writing duties for this one. Uh, you have Jason Burroughs on pencils. Gear- long-time partner. Long-time partner. They, they did Punisher Max before, didn't they? And uh, uh, Yeah, and they did the um, uh, Chronicles of Wormwood, and I, I don't think... They weren't on uh, Crossed, were they, as well? Possibly, possibly, but I, I stay away from Crossed at every opportunity, as yeah, it is good. just not my bag. Uh, like, this this issue was extreme, but Crossed is like this times a thousand, it's for me. But So just as important as well is uh, Guillermo Ortego on inks, Nolan Woodard on colors, and Rob Steen on lettering. And then just a little shout out as well for Paolo Rivera, who's been doing covers for Punisher Soviet. I think the the, the covers have been great. This was one of the first titles I read this week, and it just really, really stuck with me. Uh, I have to say, it's Punisher's always one of my favorite characters anyway, because Punisher has a very straight and narrow through line, right? You know, you might not agree with what he does, but he's one of the most consistent characters, I think, in comics. You know, he has a strict moral code. He has no problem killing people if he thinks it's the right thing to do. And Garth Ennis on this material, I think, is just wonderful. So... Essentially, the last issue picks up just after a comrade uh, of Frank's has died, and he has these three sons as hostages. They're they're three sons of this uh, terrorist group, basically. And you know, the the first two pages of it alone are just awesome. So the three of them are looking at this dead body of the Punisher's fallen comrade, and they're saying, you know, what do we do now, Jesus? And Punisher says, dig him a grave. And one of them turns around and gives him attitudes, like saying. What are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? And Punisher just has no hesitation, just shoots him straight in the head. The other two are like, right, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it. Um, and then he says, you know, make sure it's deep enough and long enough. And when it's ready, put him in and cover him up. And then as soon as they're finished digging the grave and they bury him, the Punisher just kills the two of them. It's just like, right, you've served your purpose, you've dug the grave, and then he's done. Well, and it's, he- it's, it's more than that. I mean, that's a, that's a sacrifice to... Uh, is it Vasily um, to the to the, the the comrade and is the is the Soviet of the of the title? Yeah. Um, and I mean, he, Frank killing those three guys at his graveside is is a tribute. It's yeah. Frank's tribute, I think. Yeah, definitely, um, because his whole uh, his whole group was murdered in front of him, and then other things happened to his group in front of him, which come into uh, focus a bit more through the issue. You know, certain things that he had to live through and see. Uh, but I just thought this issue, I thought it actually had something interesting to say about the world. I mean, there's a great conversation between the wife of uh, one of the Russian terrorists and Frank, and they're talking about, like, um, patriotism and, you know, belonging to countries and so forth. But uh, what the wife actually says to Frank is, you know, they're campaigns beyond the Senate. Don't forget, besides, on the level those two are on, do people even have countries anymore? You know, money even wins out about above patriotism, and you know, at the end of the day, it just all comes down to money. But you know, you you just knew in this issue that Frank was going to get his revenge in the name of his Russian comrade. But the way he gets it is just—it's some of the hardest things I've ever had to read, but also just brilliantly told. I mean, Frank walks up this sort of um, this house atop of a hill goes up this windy staircase has this narration it's at the top of a lighthouse i believe 
and he has yeah, is, yeah. and he has this narration of you know you have an idea in your head a picture where you've built up of what the bad guys ought to be the villains the monsters you get the feeling they should be spectacular considering what they've caused but all you ever get are well and it's basically two rich white dudes sitting on a leather sofa having a whiskey you mm-hmm. know valerie would have been disappointed but then he would have gotten down to work uh just ennis just understands this character so so well and it would be easy like uh, for me a lesser writer would have had this scene frank walk in shoot them both walk out revenge gained but what had actually happened um early on with uh it's it's valeria isn't it um what had actually happened early on with him was his um his entire team had been skinned alive in front of him and by the self-same, uh, I guess it was during the during the Afghan the Afghan war, the rocket yeah. side of the, the invasion of Afghanistan and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, Valeri was a sergeant in a in a Soviet uh, regiment, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the the guy who is now the drug lord or the terrorist, the, the villain of the piece, was the commanding officer at the time. Yeah, who essentially he, gave the order yeah exactly but of course did none of it himself you know he wouldn't get his hands dirty that kind of thing but so that's what uh that's who frank's got cornered here along with the senator who's working with him and and uh what's really interesting is that you know frank starts talking about the reason he's after this guy and he says 30 years ago he sold a soviet airborne unit out to the muhadin got them chopped to pieces tortured mutilated i i thing is i think i might have to narrow it down you know so obviously this guy is just pure evil but he's sitting here in like a suit and like you know butter would melt and all the rest um but essentially what he ends up doing here <laughs> is getting this uh russian commander to skin the senator alive in a, in a weird way so that he will be traumatized because he basically says like you know you'll happily send people out to do this evil but you wouldn't do any of this yourself you know you wouldn't have the stomach for it and then it becomes almost like a survival type thing where you know frank knows you know after that there's a lot of exactly what you'd expect i give him time he needs it to exhaust all hope to understand he's somewhere else up in the mountains far from home in a place he thought he'd never be but long story short he wants to live and then it became sort of an interesting exploration of the lengths people will go to if they want to live it actually reminded me of uh the Jack Reacher movie. I'm sure it's in the book as well. I've never really read a lot of them, but there's a guy in it who's like chopped off three of his fingers from frostbite because he wants to live. And he says to someone, right, I want you to bite your fingers off in front of me. And the guy's like, I I can't do that. And he's like, no, no, you can. If you want to live, you can do it. And the guy can't do it. So he just shoots him in the head. You know, he obviously didn't want to live enough. I just found it really interesting. And then this is something that won't come across the podcast. But I'm going to have to hold it up to the camera just a little bit because this is one of the finest splash pages you'll ever see um, where the guy is essentially finished doing the uh, finished doing it. And Frank just basically says to him, you rear echelon motherfucker <laughs> while looking over his shoulder. Uh, just because he was in the he was in the rear echelon of the, of the, the train before the they were attacked and yeah and he betrayed them yeah and then there's just a wonderful scene at the end which i'll not 100 percent spoil because i've sort of spoiled the rest of the issue but you were warned uh but there's a great sort of contemplative um ending to it as well with frank going to uh you know have a drink to sort of toast his fallen comrade and you know and again it becomes something else as well because you know the bartender says to him okay screw it i'm gonna spoil it uh the bartender says to him you know penny for your thoughts and Frank says, first drink I've had since 1976. 
And so of course the bartender's worried. And he's like, "What man? If you if you're gonna fall off the wagon, I don't want to be." And he's like, "No, no, nothing like that. Guy and you died. I helped him out with something." Oh, sorry, man. Friend of yours? No, I didn't even know him all that well. So why did you uh don't know? And then it has this again wonderful splash page where, you know, Frank's thinking back to this guy's life and um and it essentially just ends where Frank realizes this guy is exactly what could have happened to Frank. You know, they're basically two sides of the same coin. And Frank says, I guess I just knew how he felt. And he downs the drink. And the guy goes, another? And he just goes, no. And walks out. <laughs> just a really quiet, contemplative ending, considering the carnage that was, you know, before it. Uh, as I have to say, with Punisher Max, uh, Punisher Soviet, I should say, sorry. I mean, I was digging it. I thought it was a good title. I didn't know it was this good until I got to this issue. And... As soon as I finished it, I just thought, "Yep, just want to sit and read it from the start mm, all over again." It uh, it was a hard read. It was it was brutal. Like it really was brutal. Um, very very yeah. worthy of the Max Comics label, certainly. Yeah, yeah, and I love the uh, I love the the character of um, of uh, Valeri. Uh, what was his surname? Um, I can't I cannot remember. Uh, uh, Stepanovich. Stepanovich. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I loved it. I loved his character. I loved, it. and I wasn't expecting things to end with him the way they did. But uh, yeah, it was just it was a brutal read. It was it was pure Garth Ennis. I mean that that guy's age has not has not dulled with the years <laughs> by any means, you know. But uh, and just that moment where where Frank texts the FBI and that says, "Please state your location. Law enforcement officers are on the way." And Frank puts his phone back in his pocket. Your man uh, uh, Prochenko, the the villain of the piece, is. Is sitting there, you know, covered in blood and skin and gore, the knife beside him, eyes wide, staring at what he's done and, and, and skinning the, the senator. The senator, And, uh, you know, Frank says, tell him the Punisher made you do it. See how far that gets you. <laughs> it's, it's so good. So, uh, so on the nose. Yeah, I mean, I think this was the first of two six-issue miniseries Ennis was announced to do. Uh, there hasn't been any further concrete news on that since. But I do know that they, uh, when they first announced it, they said that uh, this was going to be sort of Ennis on it for two miniseries. So I look forward to seeing what they come up with next. Uh, yeah, just really, really dug it. Uh, as I say, it was the first. It was the first thing I read from my pile after I'd read White Knight, of course. Uh, but it was, uh, yeah, it stayed with me through my whole reading list. I just thought nothing quite reached that peak for me of it. So, uh, so yeah, when it hits trade. Uh, we'll definitely be pushing it and recommending it in stores. So, uh, yep, that's Punisher Soviet number six. So that is my pick of the week. So I think after all that brutality and harshness and, you know, the severity of what happened in that, we'll move on to Roddy's pick, which might be a little bit more wholesome, I think. Yeah, let's go for some fantasy. Um, so my pick, I'm going to go for a graphic novel, and that is Canto, volume one. Uh if only if I only had a heart is the subtitle of it, and it's by so it's written by David M. Boer. The art is by Drew Zucker. Colors are Vittorio Astone, and the letters are Deron Bennett. And this was something. It was on our all our radar. I think I think somebody had picked it in the previous book, but then I don't know what happened. It sort of just passed me by, and then. Every reviews podcast, I think Alan was certainly talking about it, and Vicky was a big fan as well. And I was just like, God damn it, why did I not get on that? But I think waiting for the trade, I think I've done 
you know, it's sort of a little bit of redemption because it reads so well in the trade. Um, so Canto tells the tale of, it's, I really like, there's a nice quote um, by L. Frank Baum, the author of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which is obviously a huge influence on the book. Um, and it just says, I shall take the heart, return the tin woodman, for brains do not make one happy, and happiness is the best thing in the world. And so Canto, for me, when I think about it, it's sort of Dante's Inferno meets wonderful Wizard of Oz, like never-ending story. You think of all those. And what I really loved about the book is he like they talk about all these influences they have, and you find with a lot of other books, they just feel like their influences smushed together or whatever. This certainly just feels like something it is influenced by those things, but it feels like its own thing, like something new has came from all these things. So Canto tells the story of um, it's a knight, this race of knights that have been enslaved by a group called the Slavers, who have in turn been enslaved themselves by the Enchanted Man. And in this world, two things are taken from the little, the little knights to, you know, stop them from uprising. Their name is taken from them and their heart is taken from them. And in the place of their heart, they're given clocks and um, clocks. Yeah. So there's like, there's a whole lot of time elements to the book. It's a really interesting, unique spin on time. And at the start of the book, it sort of drops you in sort of like a quarter way of the story. There's a lot of backstory to it as well that you find out throughout the book. But um, you sort of get dropped in towards the you know quarter of Kanto's little journey, and he finds basically his friend has um, had her heart removed and she can't be saved, and her clock has been removed as well. Her clock, her clock he, is damaged by the slavers, isn't that right, really? Yeah, something like that. And then he basically there's the all these rumors of the enchanted man and this. Um, this person beyond beyond their woods and where they live and there's something he believes he can find something to save her and basically goes from there and i don't want to i do not want to spoil anything because this is an absolutely magical book and i didn't really i wasn't really aware of drew zucker before i know he'd done he'd done a kickstarter comic and i know he'd done a horror comic called the house which is something i want to check out but this I've never seen such a visually stunning comic book and it's certain it's just feels I don't know I, I want to say I kind of hate when people say oh this should be like a movie but it certainly feels it's like it, it feels like it's influences but it feels like its own thing to me it feels like a, one of those adventure cartoons it's absolutely gorgeous to look at and I know I was a big fan of Vittorio Astoni's colors on these savage shores and it's the same sort of color palette in this he just creates like this fantasy world with all these beautiful sort of greens and purples and there's um definitely looks like a Dante's Inferno cover when you see a little canto and it's got it's got like a cute aesthetic to it as well which really works um and yeah there's a lot what I really enjoyed about it there's a lot of meaning and heart to it and um, there's a lot of so 
kind of a lot of relevant themes as well. Um, Canto finds that the slavers have been enslaved themselves, you know, so they're taught all these things and they're told these things that they believe and it's wrong. He he eventually finds out they're wrong and they're told all these these things and he's he becomes friends with um the Malarex, I think he's mm-hmm. called from Yeah, yeah. Who they they basically the Malarex have hunted the little people for like a long time, but he befriends befriends him because of his heart. Um just an absolutely gorgeous book and I know you guys have both read it, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to, to pick it up um, in Coffee and Heroes as, uh, I think it was its second print uh, singles, Roddy, um, not so long ago. So I read it, uh, I read it about uh, maybe about six weeks back, just be, maybe just before we, we locked down. Um, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed the, the fairy tale elements of it. Um, there, there, there are definitely similarities drawn between this and Bone. Uh, which is something I'm never. I guess we're never done talking about, or I'm never done talking about anyway. Um, so that that just that that fairy tale adventure, just as you say, the the Wizard of the o- Wizard of Oz thing is, you know, the the similarities can be drawn there as well. You know, the whole idea of the you know the Tin Man, and uh, the Tin Man and the Heart is obviously inspired very much by by the Wizard of Oz. Um, uh, it just it really was it really was a lovely lovely book, and and uh, you know. It, Canto was small in stature, but as you say, large in spirit, large in heart. And it's just he gets himself into these situations, and you just think, how the hell is this little guy going to get out of this? And uh, it's just it's a real it's a real odyssey across this across this land. It was a, a six issue mini series by IDW originally, mm-hmm. um, and I believe there's more to come. Is that right, Alan? There is indeed. Yeah, there's going to be a uh, one shot first of all. Which I believe is called Canto and the Clockwork uh, Clockwork Affair. Uh, so that would have been out by now if if you know release schedules had it kept um, going as they were. But it's been rescheduled, so definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, the book itself is, you know, one of the things we always like to do in the store is we there are certain titles that we absolutely adore that we think deserve a big audience, and we'll always endeavour to keep those titles in stock. So Canto has now become one of those. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those titles that, you know, there's so much to get from it. You know, as an adult, but I would I would love to see a kid's reaction to reading this because there there is the odd moment of terror and stuff like that. But I I would maybe equate it to something like Lord of the Rings, you know, and you know you could even you know draw comparisons between you know hobbits and Canto them, himself, you know, small in stature, big in heart, and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um, but I think this is this is one of the best examples of recent times I think of a book that is suitable for all ages and all ages will get something out of it I mean I it was one of those books that not a lot of people were reading and then yeah I chatted about it a bit and then Vicky read it and really enjoyed it and you know I slowly built it up and I think that's how it's been exposed in general because you know I see it appearing in a lot of sort of best of lists and it's been nominated for a couple of awards so it had a very slow start but you know, it was encouraging to see it go back to second print and things like that, because it obviously meant it was finding an audience. And the graphic novel itself as well that, that you have, Roddy, I think it's it's beautifully put together. You know, it's it's a nice thick trade. You know, it's really well put together. Uh, and, you know, on a personal note, you know, it was a, a present I actually got Vicky 
for Christmas was something obviously you guys have you know seen but I was actually able to get an original page from it and now that you've both read it you now I know the significance of that page because it's one of the more affecting moments in the story so it is uh, and I was I was really happy when I managed to get that and the guys who who worked on it you know Drew Zucker and David M. Boer I mean we they're very responsive on Twitter and we've chatted with them a couple of times and you know they, they actually follow the store on Twitter now and you know, anytime we put out about getting it in stock, they're retweeting it and trying to get, you know, uh, a bit more exposure for it. So, yeah, it, it's a great pick. And I'm just glad a lot of people are enjoying it as much as certainly we did. You know, there's nothing more frightful sometimes as a store is people come. I like to think a lot of people come to us because they respect our opinions. And there's nothing more fearful than recommending something that you love and then someone coming back and going, that was terrible. <laughs> never recommend anything to me ever again you well, know, that you know so rarely. <laughs> I know. do you know what though like i think it's really important with this one because you're going to be recommending it to children and people of all ages and yeah children are the harshest critics oh yes so. is that why all your books are aimed at adults roddy yes yeah that's it yeah. <laughs> you don't want to deal with it children's book. don't want to deal with those harsh critics at all do you yeah <laughs> But but yeah, no, if you if you do like the sound of Canto, as I say, it's it's you know, it the tone of it to me is something even along the lines of something like Middle West, which is another one obviously, you know, Keith and I have been enjoying and you've been getting in trades and stuff, Roddy. And yeah, as I say, there's just certain titles we like to try and make sure are always on the shelves at all times and Canto has definitely elevated itself to that status. So uh yeah, that from the day and the stores reopened, please don't let these words come back to haunt me. But from the day and the stores back open, we will have Canto in stock. So if that sounds like your kind of thing, we will have it. Um so yeah. Highly recommended from my point of view as well. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we have a clean sweep. I wonder, um I was kind of thinking, I wonder if it's because of the times and the coronavirus and all the but it's a very hopeful book, and that's I think that's yeah. really important. There's not mm. not a lot of books out there that are as like hopeful, and it's it's very sweet without being like saccharine kind of thing, you know. Yeah, quite straightforward with its message, and as you say, that message of hope, and you know, one person can achieve anything, and you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it is kind of a, a good book for our times. So uh, yeah, so that was uh, Canto Volume One. And that was Roddy's pick. So how about yourself, Keith? Out of your 30 titles this week, what stood out the most for you? Well, I had, uh, like yourself, I had a wee bit of a struggle between two titles. Um, and both of them were written by Greg Rucka. Um, so, your new best friend. Uh, <laughs> I, I only wish. Um, so one of those, obviously, was uh, Old Guard, which multiplied number four. We've talked a little bit about Old Guard earlier, the original series in the podcast. Uh, book club podcast we did about that force multiplied is the is the the second series of a three of a, of a trilogy um and issue four uh was absolutely fantastic it covered uh, a lot of andy's background and, and had a bit of a bit of a dive into andy's backstory but that wasn't my choice my choice was the other rocket book that was in my pile this month and that's lazarus risen number four so lazarus risen is the the fourth the fourth issue of um, Lazarus in its current iteration. Now, Lazarus was was previously released in singles, uh, I think up to issue 28. Um, and then it shifted on to a six-issue series called Lazarus X plus 66. The significance of that was the year X was the year in this in this world uh, 
uh, of Rucka, of, of, of Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. Uh, year X was the year that the Macau Accords were signed, and that the Macau Accords were the, the accords that effectively let 16 families take over the entire world. So the, these 16 uber-rich 0.1% families uh, carved up the world amongst themselves. Nations became a thing of the past. Uh, just as you, just as we were talking about earlier on, you know, um, in Punisher Soviet, there are no such things as countries, um, you know, because you know uh, finance and, and corporate power have uh, rule those things, you know, and these these families sit at the top of that. Um, so, twenty eight issues of Lazarus, then Lazarus X plus sixty six, which which took place in the year X plus sixty six, which is sixty six years after those those signings, and then now after that. The, the book went, I think it's quarterly or every two monthly anyway. Yeah, uh, so quarterly, monthly. yeah. Um, and this is the fourth. Now, I think the, the book has gone has gone quarterly, but it's now 64 pages. It's twice the size. Um, there, was, there was various reasons why that decision was made. Um, and I've got to say, it took me a wee while to, to get right with it, which is why... Um, it's taken me a year worth of this book to to, to put it on the on the pick of the the pick list. Despite I the do fact... rem- sorry, I do remember you talking about it. Maybe the first one you said you yeah. weren't. I think you weren't a big fan of it. But yeah. maybe it was the formatting. I can't can't quite remember. But yeah, I mean it's certainly not the story, Roddy. It was the format that was the, mm-hmm. the problem. You know, it was. But I think certainly with issue three and issue four. Greg Rucka has found his feet with with this format, with this with the pacing and the you know I feel like maybe the he he maybe wrote the first issue of it as nearly just jamming two books together, two single issues together. But I think he's I think he's found his feet with the format of it, and this really kicks ass. Now the first three issues were uh, a story arc called Fractured, um, and the next story arc is Fractured Two. But this one is a is a standalone story, um, which takes place one year previous, so it jumps about in time a wee bit, uh, and it's kind of a standalone story. Now Lazarus, Lazarus, as I say, it's 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 so hard to, I mean, uh, Alan, I've, I've lent Alan the, the first couple of, of trades of it, you know, which um, take in the original series, but it's such a hard book to talk about because of the level of world building that uh, that Greg Rucka and Michael Lark undertake in this book. So it's a, it's a. a a dystopian society. It's ruled by these these the world's ruled by these sixteen families, which have their different bits and pieces. Our our point of view family is the Carlyle family, and they their their real thrust is is genetic research and and and, and uh, you know that sort of genetic manipulation to extend their lives as a family. To um and and the thing about the the world of Lazarus and and where the word Lazarus comes from is each of the family have created. Rather than go to war, each of the families have created a super soldier through whatever means that may be. One of the families uses cyborg technology, another family uses chemistry, and the Carlyle family uses genetic engineering to create uh, forever Carlyle, who is the Lazarus of this particular family and the point of view character. And uh, you know, so it's been her journey and it's been her 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 arc. And as she has, I mean, I don't want to give too much away because it really it, it makes such a great read in the hardbacks but uh, you know she starts off as, as a soldier uh, just a, a yes girl to her father and then the family changes and the political climate changes and uh, forever changes as a result of some discoveries she makes and um, the society is really interesting the, the the top layer of society is called is called family you know and they have full access to everything they're the they're the one percent then 
the serfs are the skilled servitors of the family. They are they're people who can do things for the family, who are skilled workers, and then everybody else is waste. And once a year or once every five years, there's a, a ceremony takes place called lifting, in which members of waste of the waste population who feel they have a skill or feel they uh, go to a centre of population in order to be lifted up to serf status if they qualify, and therefore to be lifted up into to, closer to the family. So it's really it's real dystopian stuff. Um, Greg Rucka, as we know, I mean, writer of Lois Lane, we know how politically informed Greg Rucka is. We know, you know, what his leanings are. Uh, he, he wears them very much in his sleeve in Lois Lane and uh, and even in the winters, you know, even in, um, you know, in Old Guard. But uh, Lazarus, just the word building is absolutely astounding. So, so Roddy, you're going to like it because uh, there's a text, there's a text story. Uh, at the end of every uh, every issue of, of Lazarus Risen. Uh, Sign this, me up. Yeah, absolutely. A prose story that takes place within the world, uh, written by, generally written by Rucka and illustrated by Michael Lark as well. And the one at the end of this follows a, a previous important character. Uh, and it, we're just, we're checking up on him uh, in this particular time. You know, it's uh, really fantastic. There's uh, the um, Green Ronin Publishing, which is a, a role-playing publishing company have got a role-playing game called modern edge and they have published a world of lazarus source book uh so there's a role-playing game there's a, a lazarus role-playing game in effect and uh, and there's always a couple of pages in the back of this where they they have role-playing stats or tools for the role-playing game based on what's happened in the story which absolutely you know is, is right up my street um so it's just i mean i don't want to go too deeply into it um the story itself uh, it is set in the year X plus 67, um, which is a year previous to our current story. Um, there's a, an elite an elite uh, special forces team that are connected to the Carlisle family called uh, Dagger Team Alpha. And they're regularly called to fight side by side with, uh, with forever Carlisle, the, the, the Lazarus. Uh, they sort of refer to her as their god, uh, only slightly tongue in cheek, um, you know, and only behind her back. And uh, there's a, a member of the Waste who has been lifted up to serve called Casey Solomon. And we've seen this previously in this. This is how large the story is. Some years ago, her family traveled across the country to be to be uplifted. And Casey was uplifted to the military and became uh, eventually became a dagger. And uh, her, her boyfriend, Michael, was also uplifted and became a scientist for the family. And they're working on two sides of the coin and they have two different relationships with the family and with the Lazarus and... Uh, it really is. It really is cool, but this harks back. This parts of the story hark back to that that moment because whenever Casey and her family were were trekking across uh, to to the city to be uplifted um, or to be lifted rather, uh, her sister was killed. And whenever the daggers graduate, whenever they're officially, uh, whenever they they officially become daggers, uh, they're offered one boon by the Lazarus Carlyle. You know, forever Carlyle offers them one boon and. Some of them have asked her for a knife fight in the past, and she's left them with a scar that they'll remember. One of them asked her out on a date, and they went out on a date. But um, but Casey asks her to hunt down, to go with Casey to hunt down the men, uh, the slavers, who, uh, just a wee uh, nod back to Kando there, the slavers who, who killed her sister. Uh, and uh, it's just, it really is fantastic. You're seeing, you know, Casey's view of the Lazarus as a god and, and, and also as just a soldier and also as a, a broken young woman. It's... It's so good. This is, I mean, Lazarus is one of the best books on the shelves and has been for years. And I'm really glad that 
that Greg Rucka has has seems to have found his feet with this with this format. So he has said that uh, that he expects certainly at the, the start he had said he expected Lazarus to to last sort of between 100 and 150 issues. Um, so I think I don't know if he's counting these as two issues, but I think we're somewhere up around probably around the 40 40 something mark. So uh, so yeah, I'd highly recommend uh, highly recommend picking this up. The first three hardback trades are available um, now, and they they cover everything. The first 28 issues of um, the original series, the six issues of Lazarus X plus 66 uh, are all in those first three trades, and then I would get on board and start picking up Lazarus Risen. It really is, it really is something, and the art is phenomenal. And Michael Lark's art, we don't we don't really have to talk too much about it because he's just absolutely fantastic. But even just his talent at at drawing faces, you know, faces of characters whenever they're at rest or whenever they're listening or paying attention. He's just fantastic. Uh, you know, there's a real, I don't know if you've started yet, Alan, but there's a real noir vibe in a lot of this as well, which is, is obviously right up your street as well. So so this uh, book has everything going for it. Yeah, so, uh, sci-fi noir you just can't go wrong with. Yeah, and uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing some of your comments whenever we... Uh, Whenever you, you get a chance to read it, so uh, so yeah, that's uh, Lazarus Risen number four. Highly, highly recommend Lazarus by by Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. But you see, now I'm under more pressure to get through it quicker because now you've uh, dangled it in front of Roddy as well, and uh, you know, with that prose passage at the back of each issue. No, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 interesting as well because even through Lazarus, you know, Michael Lark at the end of it, or sorry, Greg Rucka at the end of it, always has book recommendations, you know, about futurism or about politics or about science. There's always an essay about something that's happening in the news, you know, this month that he's connecting, that he's using in the book, whether that's genetic engineering or whether that's some sort of chemistry or physics or some sort of, you know, political, you know, it, it really is fantastic. But, I mean, he was, he was able to say, you know, whenever Trump got elected, he was able to say, I warned you three years ago, just by referring, <laughs> just by referring to Lazarus. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, very, very good book. It's one I'd certainly be interested in doing a book club on at some point in the future. Yeah, it's interesting as well. It was picked up initially to be a TV show a good four or five years ago, but obviously nothing's come to fruition with that. But it'll be curious to see if uh, Old Guard does well, if maybe... That would be the next property they maybe jump onto with Ruckus. So, I mean, it's ripe for a for a show big time because, it. I mean, I I read it when it first came out. I think I got about fourteen or fifteen issues into it, but then I was living in Cambridge at the time. Then I moved house, and then things got lost and whatever else. But I'm looking forward to reconnecting with it because I do remember loving it at the time. So, uh, no, I'll 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 get through that once I get through my uh, seventy two Daredevil issues. Andy, give me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think Lazarus. It was it was optioned in two thousand seventeen as a, a live action TV show for Amazon. Uh, so uh, I don't know what the score is with that at the minute. I'd love to I'd love to find out. Yeah, well, definitely worth keeping an eye on. But until then, you can certainly catch it in the books. Uh, primarily because Keith does talk about this title so much, it's another one that we keep on the shelves at all time. Uh, we've got the first two hardbacks, I believe, in the store, and we've got all the trade paperbacks as well. So just depends whether you like that little bit of luxury with the slightly bigger ones or if you want to dip your toe in it's also a title that 
even if you just like the sound of it. Uh, it's part of the range that Image do called Image Firsts, where you can pick up the first issue of something for a pound and uh, a reprint of it. And uh, we've we've got those in store as well. So definitely worth giving a go to. Uh, cool. So that is all of our picks of the week. Uh, we're going to take a very quick interlude and then come back with uh, probably about 92 uh, honorable mentions. <laughs> Back in a sec. And now we're back, so continuing to chat about releases uh, from the 13th of May. So we're going to do it um, by publisher, which is traditionally uh, our our format. So we're going to look at sort of the best of the rest, if you will, for DC, then on to Marvel, and then on to the indie stuff as well. So uh, we're going to kick things off, as I say, with DC. Uh, of course, it being DC, there's only one character to start with. Uh, <laughs> seems to be in picks. not the one you'd expect. But not the one you'd expect. Um <laughs> So yeah, Keith, why don't you take it away with a, a quick honourable mention for a title from DC. So I'm still really enjoying uh, Dan Jurgen's uh, Batman Beyond run. Uh, 42 issues in, and uh, this is the conclusion of the final flight storyline. Say Dan Jurgen's on writing, Sean Chan penciling, uh, Sean Parsons on inks, and uh, Chris uh, Sudomayor on colours. Um, so we've come to the tail end of this story. Um, I don't know if you ever uh, saw the the Batman Beyond animated series, which which actually dovetailed really well from the Batman animated series. Uh-huh. Um, but the the villain of that was Derek Powers, who was Bruce Wayne's um, rival in business. And Derek Powers became the villain Blight, and in doing so, killed Terry McGinnis's father and uh, was more or less directly responsible for the birth of, of Batman Beyond as Terry McGuinness ended up uh, figuring out that Bruce Wayne had been Batman and becoming Batman of the, the next generation. Well, in this in this particular storyline, Blight is back. Uh, Terry had lost his memory as to who he was. He was a amnesiac, like, a, like another uh, well-loved uh, Batman friend that we know. Um, and uh, so by now, Terry has got his, his memory back. He's figured out who he is, and he's rushing to try and stop uh, Blight. But meanwhile, we have another individual wearing the Batman Beyond costume, uh, uh, a female. And uh, we don't know who that... We've now figured out who that is. Um, and that formerly aforementioned uh, amnesiac, currently amnesiac bat friend, uh, Dick Grayson, it's his daughter. Um, so we're ended, at the end of the issue, we're sort of ended with a who shall be Batman going forward. You know, will it be uh, will it be the original Terry McGinnis or will it be uh, will it be Dick Grayson's daughter, um, which is kind of cool. So just, uh, I mean, I've said it before. You should, <laughs> you should just read Batman Beyond because it's awesome. <laughs> and this particular, yeah, I mean, this particular run, you know, since um, since Rebirth has just been really solid. Uh, so uh, it's the sort of book I would go back and, and reread, reread all forty-two issues again, just from the from the start. So Batman Beyond forty-two. It's been Dan Jurgens since the start of Rebirth, hasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, very much synonymous with the title now. It's it's one of those few, very few Batman titles that has always sort of slipped through the cracks for me. Uh, I, I really must grab it off you at some point once I'm through reading the uh, the other ones you have so graciously lent me. So uh, I may just. 
grab that off you at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, from one Batman title to another, just something I wanted to throw a wee bit of love for was Detective Comics 1021. Uh, Detective Comics now officially the longest running comic series in terms of numbers. Uh, it managed to overtake Action Comics because Detective Comics actually comes out fortnightly, whereas because Brian Michael Bendis is writing Action and Superman, it's still a monthly title. So Detective Comics, I mean, considering it is what kicked the character of Batman off now, I think it's now seen as the lesser title between Batman you know, in his own title and Detective Comics, so I think sometimes it doesn't quite get the same amount of love. But Peter J. Tomasi's on it at the moment, along with uh, an artist, Brad Walker. And uh, I really, really dug this one. It's part two of a a story arc called Ugly Heart. And uh, it's focusing primarily on Two-Face, who I think is a really, really underutilized villain uh, in the Batman canon. And it's just a really good, as the title should suggest, detective story. It's street level. It's crime in Gotham. It's... uh, a new uh, section that's rising up, um, essentially called the Two Faces, and uh, Two Face has this gang, but even they're split into two. Where you know half of the gang will carry out what his orders are if he flips the coin and heads comes up, and the other half will carry out what'll happen if tails comes up. Uh, you know the ones and heads, even more white ones and tails wear black. So it's it's all about dealing with um, you know the, the the split personality of Two Face and Harvey Dent, and in this story. Harvey's actually able to keep Two-Face at bay for a while and throughout it he's actually working with Batman to a degree and uh, I just thought it was really really interesting it really looked into the tortured soul of uh, of Harvey rather than it just being the traditional you know loud snarling wow I'm Two-Face I'm mad I'm all this kind of stuff so it's uh I've really re- play that role in the movie. I, I think so I really sounded a bit too much like Dougal Maguire there but uh, that's, that's, that's mad that isn't um, but yeah Detective as I say I only really jumped back on it around issue 1000 I was off it for a while myself but what they're doing with it at the moment I've been really really digging uh, so yeah if you're looking at a slightly different Batman story you know it's it, it's definitely a smaller more street level story as I say plus I collect the variants and they are just bloody gorgeous so Libra Mayo on that one uh, so yeah Detective Comics 1021 uh so yeah that's sort of the back corner uh taken care of as i say obviously we spoke sort of a little tiny bit earlier about white knight so we'll we'll leave it at that uh another title certainly dc wise that i know myself and keith are both enjoying is john constantine hellblazer uh which is simon spurrier uh on writing duties and it's been a different artist for the last two issues and he has very very quickly become my favorite artist on constantine uh it's a bit more of a whimsical sort of look for the character almost. Uh, I believe it is Matthias Bergen is the name. Bergara. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really, really whimsical, so to speak. And, you know, there's, I think sometimes, certainly with comic books, because superheroes are seen as really muscly or really, you know, they're all good looking characters or you know all that kind of stuff this is really rough and ready and it, it's a beautiful sort it's almost a european type style of art i would say you know yeah very the way- very very pastel shaded and uh you know but i mean whimsical yeah yeah i guess you could call this the, the style that maybe a wee bit not, not oh, certainly not the me. certainly not the story content. Just just yeah, the I think it's just a, that painterly style. Just maybe I would say. Is this the guy that did the first couple, or is it a different artist? So he did the last issue, which was uh, 
you know, the just part of a two-part story arc called Scrubbing oh, Up. Yeah, yeah, and it was. I think the unfortunate casualty of um, doing this through Skype. I was reading these when we were doing the podcast at your house. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I've read the first first three, maybe, but I definitely don't recall reading the last one. But um, I thought the first three were great. I think it's going to be a trade read for me. Yeah, I think off the top of my head, issue four might have been Keith's pick of the week. Uh, and it, it just introduced you to basically this fanboy of John Constantine. Uh, yes. <laughs> Actually, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah guy, guy with the man bun, and he's vegan, and he's Tommy, Tommy yeah. Willow Tree. Yeah, yeah. We talked about we talked about Tommy Willow Tree. Uh, I think uh, one of our previous preview previews podcast. But so this continues that story. You know that uh, you know John's John's attempt to scrub up has has quick very quickly ended, and there's a, a whole thing where Tommy Willow Tree was the. The supposed mage lord of England, and uh, and he's he's just been holding the space until until uh, John came back, and now John's back. He wants to give it up. This guy is a total hipster, you know, totally the opposite of John. There's a wee bit of a, a battle of the generations going on. Uh, their drinking game, you know, their drinking competition, and all of that sort of thing. And uh, and it turns out then that that this whole thing is is a wee bit of a, a bluff by uh, former former associates or former enemies of. Of John's that there is no thing, no such thing as the Mage Lord of England and uh, and all of this, but it's it, it gets pretty uh, it gets pretty dark um, at some points during it, um, as is as is the want of Constantine and there's a, I mean I think the sparring between the sparring between John and and Tommy Willowtree is just fantastic. This is it's a great two issue story, um, but it also casts back to. Uh, it also casts back to the the one shot. Uh, yeah, that started this, uh, and it seems that the previous Vertigo version of John Constantine is working in the background, uh, and uh, Tommy Willowtree points out that the man who attacked him and and nailed him to his desk, you know, sort of thing, has a very very similar laugh to John, uh, and uh, later on we see that. So there's uh, there's there's a lot more going on here. Uh, so. It's a building story. There's been a series of, of two-part stories or, or one-shots, but there's a, a larger building story uh, going on here, and uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. I think that's really interesting. I love the so often you see the you know the five or four-part arc. I think that's really interesting to just do little smaller contained ones. Makes me really excited to read read them all sort of together properly. Mm. It's just For got sure. the, it's just got the humor of John really really well as well. Uh, that sort of sardonic wit that he has, and it is a dark book in places as well. So it's sort of got a bit of everything. Uh, I have to say, you know, there's the great part where he kicks down the door of a of a guy, and he's just like, "You're a wizard, Barry." Obviously, you know, taking the piss out of <laughs> "You're a wizard, Harry," and then he follows that up with "You're a wizard, Barry," a really, really shit wizard. <laughs> I missed that completely. Oh yeah, Fantastic. yeah, it's like six or seven pages in. Um, but uh, it's. it's yeah it's it's just a really good mix of everything it's very much an adult book you know it's not really the kind of book you'd recommend the, the sort of younger readers but uh yeah just very different and it stands out quite a lot from dc's line at the moment you know the the art style it's it's got its own weak corner of the universe like constantine for example is in justice league dark at the moment but it's a very different iteration of the character to this um they've clearly been given carte blanche to do what they want here 
um, and it really fits in really, really nicely. So, uh, yeah, can't, can't recommend enough, Roddy, and it is nice that it's uh, just, as you say, these wee mini arcs. That there is a through line, certainly, but there is also these wee mini arcs just to make it a bit easier for people to get into rather than, here you go, here's 20 issues in a row you need to you need to read to understand sort of thing i love the uh, i love the device of uh vestibulin who is the the demon in in constantine's phone mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and uh, you know the demon has certain powers within the technological world you know finding finding numbers or addresses or whatever you know because because john can't use technology really so he's got this demon in his phone that does it for him but in order for the demon to do anything it needs to be. It needs tribute. It needs to be fed. So it needs to be fed by, by horrific or by John taking horrific or pornographic videos, <laughs> on the phone. So, so it's entertained for three or four days. So it'll do what he wants. <laughs> it's just, it's a really interesting device. But there you are. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's John Constantine Hellblazer number five. A uh, couple more uh, DC shoutouts. Then what do you got, Keith? Uh, another black label title um, because Constantine is one of those and so is The Last God by uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson and Ricardo Federici. Uh, this is the, the sixth issue or book six um, of this particular book. It's a, it's a, a high concept, high octane, uh, dark fantasy story um, taking place in two time periods, I think about 30 years apart uh, as, you know, as, as two different groups of heroes attempt to free their world from the flowering dead uh this horrible uh creature slash plague that is uh, is overrunning the world and you know they're the members of the, the the newer group contain members of the older group and they're held back by you know their relationships and their betrayals and uh, it just it's really fantastic um i don't think there's any dc book that is that is has this level of fantastic art um currently at the minute i think ricardo frederigi work is is fantastic philip kennedy johnson who's also in marvel zombies and a bunch of other stuff at the minute i think he's a he's definitely a a writer that's that's going to be everywhere or is everywhere and is, is well worth watching is, is weaving a fantastic fantasy tale on, on two levels again roddy a lot of back matter songs and stories mm. and and maps and uh just really lovely lovely stuff i think the next release um, in the next release of it for this is a is a source book, a Last God source book. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that again, right up my right up my street. So highly recommend this. This is uh, say chapter six of the Last God book one of the Felspire Chronicles. So uh, really enjoying it. Yeah, I think I'll probably jump into that at some point simply because of obviously reading Conan recently, the Jason Aaron run, and really really enjoying that. Maybe I'm it's more. It's a very different beast. Yeah. It's a very different beast, but uh, well worth a look, Alan. Uh, and I say the art is just stellar. Really good. Uh, Federici, for a long time, he was predominantly a, a variant cover artist. Uh, so it's good to see them actually doing sequential art as well and being able to pull it mm. off so well. So um, cool. Yeah, so that was The Last God number six. Uh, just one to finish off with, I think, deserves a bit of love, actually, because I think. This, this title's been flying under the radar a wee tiny bit. Uh, this is Suicide Squad number four. Now, Suicide Squad is the perfect example of a title that I jump onto because of the talent involved rather than the title itself. Uh, we're obviously big fans on the podcast of Tom Taylor. Uh, he has relaunched Suicide Squad 
And so far, it's been good, but I thought this issue really elevated it. Uh, it started to show some of the pieces behind the scenes, what was motivating these characters. Because essentially what Tom Taylor has done is he's got some of the sort of the original or the more well-known Suicide Squad members in here. Harley, Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, that kind of thing. But he's also created a whole pile of new characters as well. So people like Wink and Jog and uh, the Airy Osita. So what he's been able to do is not let you get comfortable with these characters either but it also is the, the the two different groups don't meld together well you know they're very much at odds you know i suppose the suicide squad in general there's always been infighting but th there's a very clear division in this title i think between the original suicide squad and sort of the new ones but this book goes into it a lot in detail about what actually motivates them uh, and it's tied to captain boomerang who tom taylor has somehow made a guy with a boomerang really really threatening and really cool uh and really deadly uh because <laughs> i know we accept an awful lot as comic book fans but a guy who can throw a boomerang is just is just ridiculous um <laughs> there's one front and center and amazing spider-man as well true but but he's treated like a b-level guy you know what i mean <laughs> um we will get on to that because i believe one and a quarter comes to mind uh as a little quote from spider-man but but yeah i really really dug this issue i thought it was full of that sort of trademark tom taylor humor uh really good um some really good jokes with the art as well like there's there's uh, a character called wink who's a teleporter and they're actually what tom taylor has done in this as well he set it in australia which is where he's from so he's got familiarity with a lot of landscape and stuff but there's this great joke where uh they're sitting in the car and harley's just like are we there yet are we there yet are we there yet? And then on the fourth one, <laughs> Wink just teleports out, holding Harley's shoulder, then comes back without Harley, but with like her hands behind her head, sort of looking all relaxed. And one of the other teams sort of goes, you should probably go get her. And she's like, oh, she's fine. I left her surrounded by wildlife. Oh, teleports back, teleports Harley back in, and Harley looks a bit traumatized and is saying, so many emus. Uh, just a really cool title, uh, and I think it is going a bit... I don't think it's getting the love it maybe deserves. Uh, I know you're on this as well, Keith. Is is it doing it for you at this point? Yeah, I have to say, um, I was sort of uh, Suicide Squad has never been one that I loved. Uh, obviously, Harley Quinn is a big part of that, not love. Um, but uh, Tom Taylor, I do love. Um, so I wanted to give it a wanted to give it a give it a shot, as it were. So four issues in, and I'm I'm as you say, I'm really enjoying it. It's the the push and pull between the two original characters, you know, from the Suicide Squad and these new characters, and and also the new, uh, I guess, the new leadership of Suicide Squad. Amanda Waller, Amanda Waller is gone, and this guy Locke is in, and he's just a complete git. Um, he doesn't think twice about about shocking them with their whatever or adding years to their sentence or, you know, threatening them with the bombs in their heads, you know. And I think it's very much a case of you know, between this guy and Amanda Waller, you know, better the monster they knew rather than the monster they don't. Yeah. Um but yeah, as you say, we we, we get to the to the crux of it. There's there's been a there's been a plan. These new characters have a have definitely have a have an agenda and seem to want to be in the squad and we find out in this issue why and what their plan is and uh obviously that puts uh, Deadshot and Harley in a wee bit of a difficult position, and uh, and the new characters in a bit of a difficult position with them. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm am sticking on this uh, for the for the foreseeable anyway. Yeah, very much the I same. Can, I can even I can even handle Harley in this. 
Yeah, I mean, Harley's one of those characters, again, obviously, I had a lot of love for Harleen as, as a book, but I think if Harley, again, is given the right writer, and she doesn't need to necessarily be such a showy character, but she's just well written in this, where she's, where they realize, it's almost like a wink to the audience, that little are we there yet joke, because Harley is annoying, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, and they're sort of embracing that, but playing with it a little bit as well, so... Uh, yeah, I was I was really impressed with this. So yeah, it was Tom Taylor on writing duties and pencils by Daniel Samper. Really, I know it's a phrase you like, Keith, of really sort of clean lines, and that's what this had. Mm-hmm. And a really good colorist as well. Actually, just give a shout out to uh, Adriano Lucas. The colors in this were awesome. There was there's one part where they're looking over a big massive canyon, and again, these are obviously landmarks that Tom Taylor knows well from Australia, and uh, they they stop at this place. Uh, called the Great Australian Bite, and it's just this great view of the sun rising and just the the colours and so forth of it are are pretty wonderful. So yeah, thoroughly great book. <laughs> Handily, it's also uh, it's also about a hundred miles away from the nearest cell tower. Yeah, you know where the nearest cell reception. So uh... so they can't be tracked quite so easily. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Uh, so that's pretty much the the DC uh, side of things. Uh, we'll jump on then to a little bit of Marvel. Uh, obviously, because we were chatting DC, we didn't really hear an awful lot from Roddy. I'm very disappointed in you. So uh, why don't you kick us off with a wee bit of Marvel then, honourable mention. Yeah, let's go for it. Um, so this was my only Marvel title, but what a title. I Good love it. Good choice. Um, so this is The Amazing Spider-Man. This is uh, True Companions Part 2. Um Nick Spencer, Ryan Otley, um, fantastic team. And it's like when they're together, great things happen. But yeah. And then, sorry, I was just checking there. We've got, because I always double check. I'm like, when I see Otley in the cover, I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> but then it's like, oh, is he the cover artist this time? Um, but we have Cliff. Cliff Rathburn is the inker. Nathan Fairburn is the colorist. And Joe Caramagna is the letterer. Um, so I don't know with Spider-Man. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like it's it's definitely peaks and valleys. Um, different artists might jump on the odd time, but and we've certainly had a couple of quality artists too. But I think when Spider-Man gets to it, when Spider-Man has that laser focus and on a certain character, and because this book, this book doesn't have is Spider-Man in like a couple of pages basically. Um, so we focus basically. We just um, we're getting into the nitty gritty of True Companions and the Lifeline Tablet and all that sort of stuff. Um, keep it away from Kingpin. Yeah. I think is the, is the trick of it. Uh, yeah. And basically, at the start, we are introduced to Gog, who is trying to tell him, is there a backstory behind Gog, Keith? Is yeah, he yeah. a well-known um, sort of character, deep cut, as we say? Yeah, yeah. I suppose you could say deep cut. Um, so Gog has been a an on again off again spider-man villain since i think early 70s and uh his origin story up until now is is actually part way through this book which is he was originally discovered by craven the hunter in the savage land uh next to a crashed spaceship and there was quicksand and and all that stuff you know and uh i guess craven found the tiny the tiny gog uh tiny little uh humanoid creature and he, he saved the saved the gog from the sinking ship and uh names him and 
sort of raises him as, as a pet and then Gog this guy ends up growing to a gigantic size and um Craven uses him and uh that's when he very first meets Spider Man and then eventually I think he appears again later on. Uh, variously, you know, and then uh, as is, as is mentioned in this, he does end up. Doctor Octopus has enjoyed one iteration of the Sinister Six, and uh, he was in Monster Island for a while. So, so yeah, we're learning a little bit more about Gog in this particular issue, and it's really heartfelt stuff. <laughs> it really is. Um, as you were saying about uh, Craven, there, it certainly um, it definitely had me in mind of those um, hunted. The Hunted series was it? Was mm-hmm. the Craven? Was yeah, it yeah. yeah, just Hunted. Yeah, yeah. Do you know the like the points? Seventeen point one. Those kind of books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly had the sort of character focus of like random Spider-Man villain. I don't know where they picked this guy from, but they just made him a superstar in this book. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely adorable, but heartfelt at the same time. Yeah. And what what was your saying, Alan? It had serious. It it just really reminded me of that Gibbon one shot, especially, and that it's a character that's quite ridiculous in a way. But you know, it if it's well written and it's you know, you know, with this one especially because obviously it's all broken English and it's all narration from Gog's point of view and it's all very much like you know, friend, friend, Gog, boy, friends, Gog, eat, Gog. You know it, but the. They decided to do it like that, and they stuck to it, and they were true the whole way through the issue, and it was pretty heartbreaking in places, i got to say, and, yes, yeah. you know, very, very heartfelt, and but funny as well, like, I love the whole, you know, gross when he's in a pool, for example, and then... He's getting washed. And then he, he goes and catches the thing, he's like, Gog will get, and then he goes, no give, Gog keep, and then he, like, buries it and stuff, and then that, obviously, that's good set up and pay off with later on with stuff that happens as well, and... But yeah, I, it, it it really reminded me of that Gibbon one, especially, I have to say. Um, you know, quite a few tears in here. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, um, very good. And I mean, it also... Boomerang, too. <laughs> yes. He's no Captain Boomerang in this. He's a geek, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, he's been Peter's, he's Peter's housemate. Housemate. Uh, or he was Peter's housemate, and uh, he's also a long-time Spider-Man villain, but he sort of seems to be trying to reform, but... You know, at one point, as Alan says, you know, Boomerang says something about two heroes and Spider-Man's like, mm, one and a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot. We find out why the Lifeline tablet has been shattered uh, as well in this in this wee backstory and, uh, and that. So that uh, is kind of interesting. Um, it's lovely to see uh, Cliff. Cliff Rathburn inking Ryan Otley's pencils. Uh, Cliff Rathburn was the the anchor on, uh, I think the first third or maybe even even more of uh, Invincible. Oh, uh, really? So it's uh, so it's nice to see these two together. Getting the band. Oh. As you say, you know. Great minds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm with Roddy as well. I mean, I I think with Amazing Spider Man, obviously I'm not as much of a long term fan, certainly as yourself, Keith. But for me. What I've enjoyed the most in the last few years with Spider-Man has been sort of limited runs. So, you know, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man I thought was utterly consistently great. 
life story we've obviously talked at length about as well uh the symbiote spider-man sort of five issue minis and stuff like that so i do find amazing can be up and down but i do think when they get it right it is pretty great stuff really i mean right, yeah. i mean this was this was genuinely not far off my sort of top three of the week i just really really dug it i have to say mm. i mean the, the lifeline tablet has a has a long history in the marvel universe as well uh and the, you know it, it dates back to roy thomas and gil kane and all that sort of stuff um so that's a it's been interesting because it feels like for i don't know like 10 issues since um 2099 it feels like they've been building and building and building to something but they haven't mm. quite got there yet and they take yeah. these little fun detours that i'm yeah, really i'm really yeah. enjoying but i'm you know it does feel like it's been a long build-up to to whatever they're gonna do i guess the uh, the sun eater storyline they're building to isn't that right yeah. yeah as you say it's um yeah that yeah it's it's a wee bit i think that's where the frustration comes really with this title alan you know the as you say the highs and the troughs is that it just doesn't it can't quite seem to get just consistent yeah you know, it, it uh it always seems to be a wee bit all over the place you know and in the same way as the you know the the art duties seem to be a wee bit all over the place and it's just just it's not good enough for marvel's flagship title you know? I, I suppose yeah. it's it's the same as you know batman and detective comics you know batman is dc's moneymaker you know spider-man is marvel so that's why they do these fortnightly titles rather than maybe just making them monthly but just polishing them that little bit more mm-hmm. uh because those two titles you know batman detective can obviously be inconsistent as well so uh but yeah when they get it right they really get it right i mean nick spencer in general knows the character really well and it's done well to follow dan slot in general uh mm-hmm. but uh no that, that that was a pretty special i must admit i looked at the cover of it and went oh no and then sort of started reading it went no this is great <laughs> yeah uh, covers kind of kind of nice but it's kind of generic yeah very much so so you just thought oh this is just going to be another you know swing around the big guy quick action scene and over sort of thing almost but uh yeah so that was amazing spider-man number 42 so speaking of uh really good titles that were close to the top three of the week uh we have issue two of falcon and winter soldier uh this was just a tremendous heap of fun uh (laughs) derek landy probably most well-known for the Skullduggery Pleasant books on writing duties, artist Federico Vincentini and colorist Matt Miller. So the setup in this one is uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier are coming off the back of an absolute beating uh, from essentially a wee shit, for lack of a better term. The, <laughs> the natural. The natural. Is, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Hydra sort of... Um, on the field his operative rival, yeah uh yeah is is it's the hydra rivals yeah top operative as you say yeah it's um the reason this book is so good is because you know the the banter between these two characters is just utterly tremendous uh i really hope this is the kind of tone they're going to hit with the falcon winter soldier tv show that they're planning uh there's just some wonderful stuff in this and there was some pretty big revelations in this issue as well i thought uh obviously we had a lot of us had enjoyed i know keith and i had certainly read it i'm not sure if you did roddy the matthew rosenberg punisher run uh which was predominantly to do with baron zemo and and all this kind of stuff but it's yeah that links into this quite quite tightly quite gratuitously yeah because uh you know in the first few pages here you know winter soldier saying you know frank castle did something the rest of us should have done years ago he killed baron zemo and like in falcon jumps he's like i heard fisk did it uh but yeah, they're essentially 
the, the whole issue takes place on a train, uh, which of course Falcon has to fly them to, <laughs> which is great because they land on top of the train. <laughs> and of course, uh, Winter Soldier's been carried there the whole way, and he's like, okay, let's get inside. Falcon, give me a sec. We don't have time for. I've been carrying you for the last 20 minutes. Barnes, unlike you, both my arms are flesh and blood. Oh, right, sorry. If it's any consolation, your hands were gentle. <laughs> you always have to make it weird, don't you? Um, <laughs> and then it leads into this great part where they're obviously looking for Baron Zemo, or a protege of his, on the train. And uh, Falcon says, any guesses as to what Baron Zemo's protege might look like? Winter Soldier. If Simo's taught him all he knows, then he'll be a big purple idiot in a stupid mask. Falcon laughs and he goes, like that, huh? <laughs> just just <laughs> cracking banter between them. And it's just a, a lot of this issue is a, an elongated fight scene as well as they work through eight different uh, train cars. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, but what it does lead to, the reason I brought up that Punisher run, is it actually leads to a revelation that uh, Zemo is in fact alive. Was there another title where that was revealed, or is it just here, Keith? Uh, I can't. I can't remember, Alan. I'm not. I'm not just 100 percent sure. Um, if if uh, it's hard hard to keep track. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because they turn up at the room and uh, they they again and banter between each other. You know, what do you think, Bucky? Can you spot the Zemo protege in the room? Oh, I recommend. I could. I reckon I could pick him out. I have to admit, I'm disappointed he didn't change up the purple aesthetic. And then he speaks, and then they're like, "Oh, damn it! The Punisher was supposed to have killed you, Zemo." <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no, you, no. You mentioned it. I think this is the first time Zemo has appeared since that since that run. Yeah. No, that's it. But it turns out, as you say, that uh, the um, the prodigy we were talking about, the natural, is actually a rival of Zemo's, and these uh, Zemo's essentially send to these guys that they're going to need to team up to take this guy down because, as bad as Zemo is. Uh, this guy's even worse. So, uh, yeah, just a cracking title. And the, the last page as well is is great, um, where they go to... It's to see the uh, the natural's parents, isn't it? Yes, that's right, who happen to be super cap. <laughs> super Captain cap fans. fans. <laughs> they basically answer the door, both dressed up as Captain America, like, oh my God, we're huge fans. <laughs> Falcon's like, you'll like them, I think. And Winter Soldier's like, fucking Zemo. <laughs> just a really really fun book you know there are, there are books obviously we read that there's tremendous depth to and a lot with uh sort of real world themes and all the rest this is just a kick-ass fun book uh i think derek landy really hit the ground running with that i think it's only a mini series i think it's only five issues uh but i would certainly be up for him writing more of it uh yeah cracking cracking titles so yeah that was winter soldier falcon number two so now I suppose it's time to do the usual X-Men corner. It has replaced yeah, totally. it has replaced your war report, Keith, from uh <laughs> you know our war, of, our war of the Realms <laughs> days. But uh X Corner hit us. What do you yeah. start with? I suppose there's a couple couple or three in here. So uh, uh the one one that I really enjoyed uh is I think it's is it the third of uh of Hickman's giant size giant size X Men titles. The first was so it was Emma uh, Frost, Jean Grey. Jean Grey, yeah. And the uh, second was Magneto. Yep. Uh, and this is Nightcrawler. Yeah, there's um, there's still a couple more to go, I believe, as well. There, yeah, there are. I know Storm's one of them. Phantom X is one of them. Yep. Um, so Jonathan Hickman writes and uh, and Alan Davis is on art. Uh, so that's, uh, I mean, Alan Davis is a is a, a, a Marvel, uh, Marvel elder, uh, certainly. So 
this is the story of uh, of Nightcrawler with a with a small team of X Men, including uh, Cipher, uh, Doug Ramsey, um, uh, Eye Boy, and uh, Magic, um, returning to the original X Mansion at uh, Westchester Lane, which has been in the. This is the first time we've really seen it, I think. You know, in the in the Hickman universe, uh, obviously Westchester, uh, the, the Xavier Mansion was. Um, Grey Malkin Lane is the was the, the the ancestral home of the X Men, but they've abandoned it for the end of Krakoa. So we're going back to see what's uh, what's going on. There is a there is a gate uh, at the mansion, and uh, it seems that Krakoa has detected a mutant uh, tampering with or trying to get through the gate. But um, yeah, they get to they get to the to the mansion and uh, and and strange strange things uh, are afoot, and uh, there's a wee bit of a a wee bit of a, a thriller story that turns out to be a, a bit of a, an alien sci-fi. We've got a reappearance of um, of an old X-Men enemy. Um, we'll not really, uh, I'll not really go into. There's um, there's some revelations about uh, about Doug Ramsey and Warlock from the New Mutants, and uh, some old characters reappear. But it's uh, it's just a, a really nice, uh, a really nice story. Um, and these these giant size books have actually been been a wee bit of a surprise for me. Uh, I've really enjoyed really enjoyed the first the first couple, and uh, and this one is no exception. So it doesn't really connect to too many things. It is a it's a giant size one shot. So uh, highly highly recommend digging into that. So that's the first of our our X Men corner books. Um, the second is one that I think uh, that you read Nightcrawler as well, did you, Alan? Or yeah, yeah. There's something pleasingly old school about it, which I thought was was good. Um, you know, just going back to the expansion and stuff like that. What I will say is the character of is it Eye Boy? Yeah. Yeah, that character needs to be in more stuff. That's such an interesting <laughs> character idea. I uh this is the first I've seen him in lots of stuff. Um he uh I can't remember whose run he appeared in. Wasn't Grant Morrison's run, was it? It seems uh, like a Grant Morrison thing to me, but um I can't I can't remember where Eye Boy came from, but this is the, the you're starting to see I mean, it, I wasn't clear before as to as to what his powers are. Powers are, but um, he he seems to be able to have vision of all kinds. You know, whether that's infrared or sonic or all sorts of, you know, all sorts of kinds of, of vision. So well, yeah. Just to uh, give you some context, Roddy. So Eye Boy has ten eyes on his face. He has eyes up and down his arms, eyes on his hands. So the idea as well is that he can see in every direction all at once. But when they first come into the X Mansion, you know, someone says to him, you know, check the place out, and he goes, infrared, night vision, thermal. This place looks empty. Seems like a really, in, a really silly looking character, but actually, I think it'd be really interesting. Imagine that character dumped into like a spy story or something like that. It'd be really, really interesting, you know, a stealth story or something like that. But when I first saw the character, I was like, who the heck is this yeah. guy but actually the more yeah. i thought about it I thought it was a really interesting character he's got he's got eyes eyes on his head and his, his hands and his legs and his neck and his tongue uh you know and actually he's a jason aaron creation oh mistake. yeah, yeah oh, okay. he, he was uh whenever jason aaron was writing uh wolverine and the x-men that's where he came from oh okay 12 so so it's interesting to see him used in a serious fashion actually yeah uh so yeah really good point alan really good point but uh yeah uh as you say old old school sort of a sort of a feel um even know, even with that. the art style as well i thought was sort of you know it's alan davis you were saying wasn't it yeah mm -hmm. um so yeah no i i thought that was the best of the three like the 
been different degrees of good, but I actually thought that was the the best of the one shots thus far. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, so the next uh, X book that I really enjoyed, uh, not one that I was sort of uh, putting a lot of expectation into. I thought I'll pick it up and see how it goes, but uh, it was uh, very, very hell of a good, I suppose. Uh, and we're talking <laughs> about Hellions number one. Um, and that's uh, it's Zeb Wells, isn't it? Yep. Uh, was the uh, was the writer on it? Um, so Seb Wells and Stephen Segovia is the artist. Spot on, and I mean, all of the all of the books, the the the, the X Universe books have all had a purpose now. And this, the purpose of this, I mean, I think this owes a wee bit to Suicide Squad. Maybe would you say? Yeah, I could get on. I'd get on board with that uh, comparison, definitely. You know, and effectively, it's the it's those those mutants whose whose powers have have affected them psychologically um you know so for example we start with empath who's an individual who can control minds and therefore isn't getting the emotional feedback that he needs from people because they're under his control there's uh you know there's a wild child who you know unless he's medicated he's he's a berserker uh or uh, you know nanny and orphan maker <laughs> oh nanny uh, jeez talk <laughs> about a creepy character yeah yeah they're, they're uh, long-time characters as well and uh you know, of, of, of the X-Universe and uh, uh, what do you call him? Um, John Greycrow. Uh, oh, what do you call him? Uh, I can't remember what his, it's not, what his code name is. So you have Havoc, Scalp Hunter. Scalp Hunter. There's one. Well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he was one of, he was one of Sinister's original uh, marauders that, uh, that took part in the, the mutant massacre and uh, destroyed the, 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 what do you even call them? The bloody mutant Morlocks uh, that, live, <laughs> that live in the sewers. You know, massacred them, uh, cut off Angel's original wings. Uh, you know, so so really, I mean, I guess if if the Marauders hadn't been taken as a title, this would maybe make a would would be a better title for this book. <laughs> yeah, because they even say that at one point. Yeah, that's great stuff. Yeah, I mean, the 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 Hellions were originally the X team of the Hellfire Club. You know, the mutants of the young mutants of the Hellfire Club. They were the Hellfire Club's new mutant team. Uh, and the Marauders were Mister Sinister. So, so Mister Sinister comes in here. Sinister is, in, is sort of in charge of this team. The idea is that they have a remit to go out and and do things in the outside world that don't involve, uh, you know, the death of humans. That that involve, you know, going doing doing these things out in the outside world. These crazy things out in the outside world in a therapeutic way for them. You know, it's interesting actually what's happened to Havoc. Uh, Havoc seemed to be back in there was a, a limited series years ago called Axis. Where a lot of villains and heroes flip flopped, they had their moral centers changed, their moral compass changed. So Havoc, who had been a good guy, became a bad guy. Red Skull, who had been a bad guy, became a good guy. Tony Stark became a bad. He became a superior Iron Man and became a, you know, um, and at that time Havoc became a bad guy and 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 he was part of the Liberation Front and all sorts of things. And he seemed to have been cured, but it seems that he's, you know, his head's a bit screwed up. He, he mentions in this and. You know, at one stage he definitely is is going down the, the bad guy route. So uh, there's definitely an inkling there. So there's there's some some real throwbacks here. Um, so yeah, it's really a really interesting book. Really looks really well. Uh, the Segovia art's fantastic. Um, the cover's beautiful. Um, so really interested to see where this goes. What do you reckon, Alan? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was uh, this book is clearly just an excuse to have uh, Mister Sinister, which works for me. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. To be honest, yeah, going into it, I mean, we we 
talk about it all the time with the X stuff that obviously there's a lot of X titles around at the moment and you know sometimes the budget doesn't you know stretch that far to obviously get them all um i i certainly do believe they're well written enough that you could pick and choose certain ones but i'll admit i jumped into this one i wasn't too familiar with many of the characters i read the first few pages i was like yeah it's entertaining enough but see when you get to the page uh the krakoa the quack council and they're all sitting around discussing what to do with these guys and obviously you've got all your groups of three as part of the council uh, Mr. Sinister sitting there. Who who's the guy beside Mr. Sinister? Um, purple face. Just hold it up for you there, Keith. Uh, hold on. Uh, where are we beside Sinister? Sorry. So sorry. It's only about seven or eight pages in, and uh, Mr. Sinister sitting there. You've got Mystique oh, on the other side uh, of him. Um. Oh my God! What do you call him? Um. I'll get there. Continue. It'll come at some point. But yeah, basically, Sinister's just talking. He's like, sure, but also, if I have to behave, everyone does. Throw them in the pit of, ex- pit of exile. And he says, ah, oh, Mr. Sinister has something to say. Can you all tell how shocked I am? And he turns around to him, and I'm probably going to murder this word. But he says, are your epilots getting better or getting bigger? You want to go down this road? I will be with your ass every step of the way. Mr. Sinister's shoulder ornamentation will not be outdone. And mistakes in the background, so are going to kill me. <laughs> you know, just I, I really like. I don't know an awful lot about Mister, but from this book alone, I am going to be sticking with it because he just seems like a really fun, sort of devilish character. Um, because I remember reading one or two articles about it when House and Powers came back, and certain people weren't quite on board with this new iteration of him. Maybe he was a bit too flamboyant, or he was a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I'm quite. I'm kind of liking him. I have to say. Yeah. Thickers. Uh, Thickers. Yeah. That uh, that character was is Exodus. Okay. Um, Exodus is a mutant. He was. He used to be a, a crusader, and he used to be a follower of Magneto uh, back in the in the Asteroid M days. So he's uh, and he's he's linked to the uh, he's linked to the Avengers to the Black Knight and all sorts of stuff. Uh, it just took me a minute getting there with a, with a name. <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking Excelsior, and then I couldn't get that out of my head. <laughs> Exodus. But yeah, even when uh, that little character I was telling you about. Um, you call him again, like creepy character, uh, Nanny, sort of sneaks up on Mr. Sinister and says, you're a dirty man, Mr. Sinister, he goes, hmm, he goes, dear God, you scared me, I'm sorry with your little mouth, you just look, what do you want? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know, I just, it's quite a dark book, but it's also got a sense of humour too, and it's kind of fun, I think Suicide Squad's actually a pretty good um, comparison, Uh, last few pages certainly, go more down the creepy the creepy route but it's just different enough i think as well to differentiate itself from the other Xbox. so um yeah i really dug that as well thought it was very good yeah i mean nanny and nanny and orphan maker are two fairly creepy characters um the orphan maker whose name is peter he was originally one of mr sinister's orphans mm-hmm. and uh you know eventually he was saved by nanny who's the cyborg and she had a tribe called the Lost Boys and uh, Orphan Maker. The reason he's called Orphan Maker is because under under Nanny's sort of orders, he would kill the parents of young mutants, making them orphans, and then they would be abducted by Nanny to become members of her Lost Boys mm-hmm. uh, tribe. So it's kind of dark, kind of dark stuff, you know. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Cool. There you are. Um, and then I'll just throw it in quickly as well. We talk about the title more than enough, so we'll not spend too long on it. But 
X-Men Fantastic Four number three, I thought was really, really solid as well. Uh, some really good stuff in it with Doctor Doom, I have to say, with uh, the plan that he's putting in place. Because obviously X-Men Fantastic Four is all about, you know, two different sets of good guys coming to a disagreement about Franklin. Uh, and Doctor Doom is just like, oh, there's a little chance for a wee bit of meddling just here. Let me get myself in the middle of it. Uh, it's just going to be a four-issue miniseries. This is issue three of it, so it's probably a bit late to jump on to it. Probably best trade waiting at this point, but really, really good, solid issue, I thought. Uh, so, yeah, and, of course, written by our good friend, uh, Mr. Zdarsky. So, cool, that is the sort of X corner. Uh, what else we got Marvel-wise, Keith? Now, this next one, not too many spoilers because I'm backtracking the entire run and 100 percent then we'll, uh, <laughs> i'll not uh, i'll not spoil anything uh, i'll not spoil anything for you but uh this issue is issue 33 of al ewing's uh the immortal hulk um and the immortal hulk has just been a revelation since the start uh what a story what a crazy story what a horrific story um it's been joe bennett on on pencils all the way through but issue 33 is legacy number 750 so we've got a wee bit of a chunkier issue uh this time around uh so issue number 750 of the of the hulk um it continues uh an ongoing story which uh which bring backs a f- bring bring backs brings back a a former uh a former hulk villain uh who sort of manipulates memory and manipulates mind mind minds and memories by by manipulating sort of childhood a wee bit, and uh, it's 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 a complicated story to to tell, uh, just without spoiling anything. So I, I won't. We continue our our continuing battle against Roxon. We spend a little bit of time inside uh, Hulk's Hulk's head, um, and we have the most horrific banner to Hulk transformation we've had since uh, since the start of Immortal, Immortal Hulk. Um, uh, it really is, really is something. So uh, yeah, Immortal Hulk just just continues to do it. I mean, there's there's a couple of different styles of of art on this. Um, who was the who was the the penciler on the on the backstory? Um, I couldn't tell you. Oh, Nick Nick Patara was the there's a there's a mindscape sequence in this as well, which uh, which always goes well in a Hulk book. So. Uh, so yeah, really, uh, really enjoyable. Um, he, uh, a guest appearance by uh, by the Green Scar of uh, of Planet Hulk fame as well. So that was nice. But uh, yeah, another great, uh, another great Immortal Hulk story and uh, some beginnings and some endings in this. Uh, a bit of a, a surprise cliffhanger as well. So got through that without spoiling anything for you. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those titles, Immortal Hulk, that I sort of gave up my issues early on uh, for a customer and. I've always regretted it, so I've been back tracing it. I'm now three away from having the whole run, and then we'll get back up to date on it. So, uh, yeah, just, yeah, looking forward to that. So, yeah, that was Immortal Hulk 33. So, just one last Marvel title again I just want to throw a bit of love out for is Jessica Jones' Blind Spot, number six. I talked a little bit before about how Falcon Winter Soldier was just a fun book. That's what this is. There is there is a tinge of some you know underlying sort of uh, issues as well, but this issue essentially is Jessica and Luke Cage, um, who are married, are just want to throw a birthday party for their daughter Danny, and the reason I really dug this book is because this for me is the kind of book that should come out every so often in both DC and Marvel, where it shows characters who live in the same environment just popping in and out of each other's story. Uh, in this one, you know, they wake up and they haven't heard their daughter 
uh, shouting or running around the house or anything, and they're wondering why. And they go out into their uh, into their dining room, and She Hulk sitting there with their daughter, just sitting munching cupcakes uh, that were supposed to be for the birthday party. <laughs> Thor turns up. Um, have you read this yet, Keith? Uh, yeah. Oh, the Thor stuff was incredible. Yeah, uh, uh, very, very good. Always yeah. a wee bit to the to the movie <laughs> Thor, I think. Oh, very much so, very much so. Um, but yeah, he turns up early, <laughs> so he does, and he he sort of speaks like, "Thine evite was confusing. Perhaps thou shouldst have enlisted a calligrapher and had invitations delivered by wondrous birds of prey or doves. Doves would have been nice." Uh, he's just really fun, and he even ends up stealing a wee uh, whack off the end of their birthday cake and stuff like that. Uh, it's just a really fun, silly little issue, but it does get a bit more sort of story based towards the end with uh, Jessica's underland sort of psychological effects of dealing with Purple Man and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's continuing to go longer than I expected because I was nearly sure Jessica Jones was just going to be six issues. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean that blind spot was originally a was originally a it was an original graphic novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering what what's going on. Is this still part of it, or is this? Yeah, I mean, it's it is called Blind Spot still. So I don't know whether it's maybe the more story to tell, but uh, I, I'm really enjoying it. You know, it's Kelly Thompson on writing and uh, Marcio Takara on art, and yeah, it's just always a good it's always a good book. Uh, so and yeah, Jessica Jones Blind Spot. So that's pretty much me when it comes to Marvel. Uh, one more you want to? Spot was it was originally solicited as as six issue mini. Yeah. Uh, so uh, obviously there's a cliffhanger at the end of this that yeah. says next, next issue you know? yeah it does say to be continued and that to me shows that the next issue isn't the last issue either because usually it'll say to be concluded mm. um, so they're obviously continuing it on for a while so so yeah Jessica Jones blind spot number 6 cool uh, um, so the last Marvel book I want to talk about is uh, Kurt Busiek has been curating uh, a series of books, or will be curating a series of books based off the back of Marvels and you know the, the Marvels Eye of the Camera that that sort of anniversary um, called Marvel Snapshots. And uh, the first one, uh, he's he's curating it. Uh, Alex Ross has drawn the iconic covers and and uh, as as only he can. And um, I think Kurt is is uh, Kurt Busiek is assembling the teams. So this. Uh, this particular one was uh, fantastic. The first one was was uh, Marvel Snapshot Submariner, which was really fantastic. The second installment is a wee bit of a, a Silver Age sort of a takes a wee bit of a Silver Age turn and turns the spotlight on Fantastic Four's Human Torch in a story by uh, Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer. Um, you know, so it, it just it's a lovely story. Uh, the 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 storms uh sue and johnny grew up in in glenville and uh they were they're 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 the, the terrific twosome of glenville because they're from there uh sue was was too old uh really by the time the fantastic four had formed um and sort of wasn't really in glenville anymore wasn't at home but johnny still was and he was the you know the the story is taken from the point of view of his his former former girlfriend dory uh, and you know he's been invited back to Glenville for a high school reunion, so obviously he's going to be the center. You know, whenever the Human Torch returns to Glenville, he's the center of attention, whether folk like him or folk don't like him. You know, and there's a there's a reporter coming along to, to chronicle the the uh, the high school reunion anyway, and Johnny turns up, and you know it's it's like a typical high school reunion. Johnny comes along, he says hi to people, he forgets people's name, he doesn't know who they are. He's the hothead. He's the he's the the rock star. You know, he's every bit that. You know, the 
and uh, even even Dory, who you know, he just gives her a nod and says, "Hey, how you doing, Chica?" Chica you know, he, you know, he doesn't even acknowledge her really, you know. And he has a fight with someone, some guy, you know, gets drunk and sort of he's like, you know, who do you even think you are, sort of thing, you know, all that sort of stuff. And the party ends fairly early, and it's you know the reporters like there's something going on here, and then it's just there's a lovely ending to it, you know. Johnny cuts out early, and everybody else gets drunk and is lying about, and and it just seems to finish early, and it's a d- bit of a damp squib of a party, you know. And then uh, the reporter kind of figures out there's something else sort of going on, uh, and she's even interviewed Asbestos Man, one of his villains, you know, one of the early villains, uh, and that, and uh, she figures out there's something else going on, and I can't remember how, but she tracks. She tracks out to outside Glenville to this quarry, and uh, there's a whole lot of them standing. You know, a lot of Johnny's classmates, old classmates, standing, and they're all wearing uh, shades. And they're like, the, the the reporter's like, is this like some sort of children of the corn thing? This is weird. They're all just standing there looking. And then next thing, Johnny teleports in with Lockjaw to the real party with his real friends. You know, the people that really know him. Uh, you know, and he's he's chatting to everybody, and like he knows them, and they do this every year, and it's secret and because the, the, the high school reunion is the big thing that the world knows about, but nobody knows about this little party with his real friends, you know. It's so it's really touching stuff. It's really uh, it's really cool stuff. Really nice, really nice Marvel snapshot there. Really lovely, lovely story. Uh, quite quite poignant as well. You know, Johnny gets to be his, his true self. You know, not the mask that he portrays to to the world whenever he's you know uh, around the people he, he grew up with. I guess so. Very nice story. Very nice story. Very nice indeed. So yeah, Marvel snapshots, Fantastic Four. I believe the next one is Civil War. I think. Yeah, uh, Captain America. I think yeah, which for sure. Has um, been an interesting one. I know we're expecting Cap. We're expecting. Uh, I think it's X Men as well, um, and Spider Man, and Iron Man. So I think there's there's six in total. Cool. Yeah. So that brings us to an end the Marvel section of the honourable mentions. Uh, so finally, you're going to be able to talk again, Roddy, uh, <laughs> as we move into ah, the, the spells over. As we move into the <laughs> indie section, uh, but even then, we get into the indie section, and the first title we have lined up is actually Keith. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, I'll just give a quick mention to, to Blade Runner 2019, uh, issue seven. Uh, follows uh you know it's set in 2019 it follows a, a an earlier blade runner to the the blade runner we know in harrison ford uh a blade runner called ash uh we're we're well into the the second arc of this story which has taken us to the outer colonies off planet um but i think we're going to be returning to we're going to be returning to earth very very shortly uh it's a lovely story i think what this does really well is it as it captures the visuals and the atmosphere of of the original movie very very well despite being uh, you know, a very, very different story. So issue seven of Blade Runner 2019. Um, I'd say the first one, by t- it's Titan Comics, probably the first six is out in trade or something. Yeah, like first trade's out, yeah. We we have it in the store. So I think it was the first issues they put in the trade. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is available now for anybody. Not in, uh, I think it's in fours. Or is it four, is, is it? Because I think we talked about that before. And okay. I think the first four is an arc. And then... I'm pretty sure I might need to double check, but I think we we definitely mentioned it last time. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, five, six, seven would be this this current arc. It probably finishes with eight, I would imagine, and then I know that they're going to be returning back to back to Earth in, in 2021 or whatever it is. But but yeah, really really worthwhile story. There's an over there's an over an overarching line between this arc, you know, the first arc and this arc, which is uh, a little girl that the 
the the Blade Runner is has rescued, um, and uh, that all comes back to Hunter in this issue. So it's pretty cool. So yeah, from Blade Runner on to uh, another trade that you picked up this week, Roddy. Something that uh, you seem to have enjoyed. Yeah, um, I love this, but I don't know if I could sell it. So this is over. Like whenever somebody wants to buy it, you work away. But this one is Coffin Bound, uh, Volume One, by Dan Waters and an artist called Danny. And I know Dan Waters done some work on the. Sandman Universe, I think. He's done something. I think he's done uh, comics for Vault and other stuff for Image as well. Um, this was bonkers. Um, I don't know how to describe The overarching story is that um, it's about Izzy Tyburn, I think you call her, and she's basically being chased by a killer um, across this sort of grindhouse version of America. And Essentially, she's trying to retread her life and figure out where it's all kind of gone wrong. But within this, it's some sort of like weird, lucid dreaming, acid trip, Hunter S. Thompson kind of stuff. Woof. It, it's utterly, <laughs> it's crazy, but it's absolutely stunning. I love Danny's art in it and the coloring is just, it's unbelievable. It's really gorgeous and it's not not really like anything I've ever seen in comics. There's a lot of like... It would remind you of like a, do you know, like a, is it Russ Meyer you call him? Like a faster pussycat kill, kill, kill. kill. Yeah. There's a lot of that kind of influence in it. And then, but with a splash of like you throw in like this multicolored paint bucket of grindhouse colors, you know, it's great. Really is like, I've never read anything quite like it. Um, plot wise, having a clue it just sort of, <laughs> it's tied together you know but i really i really enjoyed it yeah it's so, weird it's know... it's more of an experience than a story if that makes sense it's all about mood and atmosphere and dread and you know surrealism and yeah see i read it i i picked up all the singles of it and uh primarily because of the art and to me yeah it's david lynch meets hunter s thompson uh, there's a bit of Mad Max in there it's like a dystopian yeah. kind of world too but I'd be curious to see how it reads in trade because uh, obviously I was reading it month to month and there's a lot mm. of characters in there and a lot of ideas that sort of you know jump all over the place so uh, it's really it's um, dense as well there's like it's only four issues but it feels like you're reading I'd say you're it feels like you're maybe you're maybe reading a six issue miniseries you know it's it's that sort of there's a lot of depth to it yeah no I'd agree with that I mean it's it, it, if it was the kind of thing I was selling in the store I would just sort of say to someone if they like surrealism and they like something a bit different from the norm but it is very much a 18 rated R rated experience I mean there's there's a part to my memory which takes place in a strip club which mm -hmm. is just one of the most uncomfortable things you'll ever read, uh, where they talk about how far the girls will go to entertain you. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I suppose we're talking about Kanto. Like, it's great to have an all-ages comic. <laughs> this is the opposite. This is the opposite. End. It's great to have this an 18. This is not that. No. you got to have an 18. Maybe Punisher or Soviet is like one of those 18. Yeah. It's nice to have those 18-rated titles as well. You know, not everything can be in the middle, Yeah. which I sometimes find comics are... But yeah, it's worth a read. It's worth a read, definitely. 
No, that's fair. I think that's fair. But uh, yeah, I must dig it out and have another read of it. Just curiosity. Um, but yeah. So yeah, from Coffin Bound Volume 1 then on to another finale. The series we're coming to an end this week. Uh, well, I say finale, but is this the yeah. end? What do we got? We got Folklords, number five. Yeah. Matt Kent, Matt Smith, Chris O'Halloran. This series has been very interesting. Um, Wouldn't even bother you with the plot now. Basically, a young boy called Ansel lives in sort of this stereotypical fantasy world. Yeah, um, but he keeps having these visions of what we would call our world. Um, so he keeps seeing it. He sees like these things from books from our world, like might be like a tank or, you know, a gun or like these detective novels or something like that. Um, and this is the finale of it. Um, for me, I think there's there's a bit of controversy about it because for me, we were promised a five issue miniseries. I don't think we're getting a five-issue miniseries. I was satisfied with this, and I thought it was really, really good. But it's a really, really good number five. It's not a really, really good conclusion. Because where I would say Kanto feels contained, and they're mm-hmm. going to do new stories, but it was a story. Yeah, beginning, middle, and feels, end. Yeah. I don't want to say cheap is the wrong word, because I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I thought it was brilliant. But there's a little bit of me that they were, it just feels a bit cynical, like, oh, we're just going to keep going. You know, like they didn't really, like they knew before they announced it, it was going to go on. But um, for what they did with the story, I probably don't want to spoil it really for anyone, but it it continues. <laughs> what do you do, boys? Does think? it, though? Does it? I oh, mean, yeah. Has there, has, there been, has there been an announcement that it's going to continue? I don't think I don't think there has been yet, but I would be very very surprised if they left it there. Well, I mean, I I mean, I love the I love the significance of the last page, and this is why I thought it didn't need to continue, because the last page of this issue is the first page of the first issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, reversed. but reversed. Yeah. But it's it's Isla's story um, in our world, and she's a you know she's an outcast because she dresses up like like a wizard or a carries around a staff, you know, like a, like a D and D character and all these people, you know, and, 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 and her world, us, we're looking at her laughing, you know, and, and then there's the two men in black who at the side there, who are very much like the librarians, you know, in the, in the, in the first, so even that, that one panel, five panel, one panel structure is the same as the, the first page of the first issue, you know, or the first two pages rather. You know, where Ansel starts off in his room and he's got all the things around him that, that are, you know, he's got his, he's putting on his suit, you know, his business suit, which is a strange thing in a fantasy world. And he's got his, you know, he's got his mobile phone, his, his cut out mobile phone and all that. And this is just, as you say, the reverse of that. I don't, I don't know if they need to continue this. I don't oh, know. Really, it, think yeah, no, because you make the assumption that, you make the assumption that, that Isla is having a very, very similar or a mirror journey to Ansel. Mm-hmm. And if we were to follow Isla's story, she's going to be on the other side of Ansel's door. The door that I, that Ansel is stepping through at the end of this issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know that they need... I don't. I just don't know. I don't know if she's going to... I mean, I'd be interested to see her adventure, but assume it's, assume it's the mirror image. 
you know, let your imagination do okay. the work. Yeah. It's uh, so I don't know that that they need to do this, and I think that's that's sort of what that's sort of what the whole narrative is about. You know, the the the, the dual narrative that we've we've seen all the way through this. You know, with a with a playing with the once upon a time, and of course we find out that it is it is this folklore, I guess, who has written it. Perhaps is it? Uh, you know, and there was a wee well, bit of a. Oh yeah. no, sorry. I was gonna say you didn't get really much of him, so that's why I kind of felt it was there is a lot more going on. And there is a lot. I mean, yeah. uh, the 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 inference that is made here is that is that this folklore is Tolkien. Mm-hmm. You know, John John Ronald. You know, John Ronald Raoul Tolkien. I don't know. It's uh, there's definitely a, a nod here, or, or uh, certainly a, an inference that, or the you know, and and who are those? There's a lot of questions. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know that. I don't know that they need answers. Well, he says something like that in the end of the book. Or he, or, or yeah, says it. he it's basically like, um, says, uh, "I think it's answers sometimes can be a curse." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which to me seems to be a bit of a cop out of, you know, we could give you answers, but you know, answers yeah. can be a curse. I don't know. I mean, it's it's the thing that where it started to lose me a little bit, and I mean, we have. We have loved this title the whole way through, and I think it's set up a really interesting world. To me, it feels, and again, this is just me, but I think it feels a wee bit like a cop-out at the end, but where it started to lose me was, I, I didn't really get the Tolkien reference so much, Keith, but what I, do you know all I could think of at that point was the architect at the end of The Matrix Part 2? <laughs> like, even, even the way he talks and he, you know, what what is it he says? Um... Bah, 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 bah. um you doubt my veracity, let me explain something to you, miscreants. Through my vast knowledge of literature, alternative nomenclature, my superior phraseology, I released... I was just like, this is just the Matrix uh, reloaded, and I know how much I hated that. Um, and then I, think you're doing it dis- I think you're doing a disservice to that comparison. Uh, well, I mean, you say that, but even at the end, where Isla's running through the world, there's two agents right there in plain sight. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> well, men in black, black have been have been around a lot longer than uh, than uh, the Matrix. I think you'll find the Matrix has been around it's since the beginning of time. Not not, not the movie, <laughs> actual men in black. <laughs> but it's it's definitely an interesting one. I think the it will be divisive, but it's certainly a charming series. And Matt Smith's art and Chris O'Halloran's colors, stunning in this one. And I love the design of the book as well, especially at the back. Yeah, with the different yeah, maps yeah, you yeah. got Islas, each time. That's maybe maybe that's maybe that's just sorry. Maybe that's just where the frustration comes. It feels like there's so much more to explore, and that, that's kind of what yeah. I felt. But I was satisfied at the same time. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, and I was really satisfied. But I was like, oh, this, there's got to be way more to it. Yeah, I don't know. I just think if you if you take if you take the start of Isla's adventure and sort of follow it through and let your imagination build that story. You know, you you in effect become the folklore, you know, uh, and 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 making that happen. But I mean, there's there's a lot of interesting wee questions as well. You know, uh, who is Sal? I mean, and how can he he can't be of this world because he could kill a folklore. <laughs> exactly. You know? So there's there's so all sorts of wee, questions, you know, there's all sorts of wee things there as well. So, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, really really interesting, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I would like more. But if I don't get more, I'm good to go. <laughs> you know, I can. Uh, I think there's 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 definitely something there about about stories and storytelling, and you know, it's uh, it's. Good. I'm, I'll be interested to see what's what what's said about it, um, and and what the 
you know what Matt Matt Kent has to say about it. You know what the creative team have to say about it as well. So in the in the aftermath. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a good um a good place to sort of jump onto from that does deviate slightly from our running order, but I think a good comparison piece is Once in Future. So Once in Future originally conceived as a six issue mini, but has now been um changed to an ongoing series. And this week we got Once in Future number seven. Uh, we got the release of the trade this week as well. But just like with Canto, I would say like if the first um, if the first trade of Once in Future was all we had, I think you would be satisfied. I think you'd be more than happy with it. But I am so happy we have returned to this world because again, this is this was top this was top two this week as well. Top two, top three. Yeah, very uh, much so. You know, so we're talking once in future number seven. That's written by Karen Gillan, art by Dan Mora, and I believe colors by Tamara Bonvillain. Just such a great name. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this picks up the, exactly where number six finished off. Um, and it's just so good. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, you know, to give you an idea, like, so a couple of guys that come into the store, Robbie, who works in Mikey's and his brother Dave. So Robbie messaged me during the week and said, I need something for Dave's birthday. What should I get him? And I just looked to my left and saw the once in future trade and went, yes, that's it. Three hours later, I got a message from going, uh, you know, the equivalent of that old meme of y'all got any more of them uh, once in future issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I just think it's an interesting comparison piece because I think we we, we spoke sure uh, certainly you know as comparative pieces you know in terms of their quality and what they were achieving they they both came along pretty much around the same time but I think this is a good example of you know give me more you know uh, so what about you guys a ticket it's still up there oh very much so I really really enjoyed issue seven it's nice to sort of have a wee bit of a a sort of a, a, a status quo set, um, we bit of a we bit of a fresh start on it. Uh, you know the there's still the idea that that the I mean the, and the I guess the the comparison you're making is is about story and the fact that you know once in future like folklore is all about story, once in future is all about story, and we very much you know see that whenever um, what do you call what what's Grand's first name again? Uh, it's not Rose, is it? Oh no, Rose is no, the Rose is Rose's girlfriend. Yeah. Uh-huh. But are um, they boyfriend girlfriend at this point? I got the feeling that I, she... I get I get the impression yeah. that they sort of are maybe. Um, but I mean, Gran makes the 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 comment that that Galahad has been has been weighed down by the weight of the story. Yeah. And is is no longer you know so there's 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 a, a through line here from folklore, but also through this the first six issues of the book about. She very much has an idea of what the story needs to be, and and if someone diverges from that, or if someone's weighed down by it, or if someone, you know, so, and I guess that's that's the the, the weight of folklore and myth. But that that first the first page with Duncan, uh, so we have a wee preamble with with Arthur and uh, another world and his his knights and the what happens to Galahad, which seems pretty nasty. Um, but uh, Duncan is in Cornwall. He's just walking out of a cave with an axe, and his phone rings. <laughs> He picks up the phone, wide-eyed, shocked. I killed a pixie, and an <laughs> Avon is grand. Good work, Duncan. Tricky little bastard pixies. Any problems? And he's like, I will never look at a toadstool in the same <laughs> way again. <laughs> it's just his face, you know. So uh, there's there's a lot going on. You know, Rose seems to have really taken on the uh, 
the role of the the sort of the man in the chair role. Um, you know, she's she's conducting mystic rituals with pins to try and find out where he needs to go next and and all of that sort of stuff. So it's uh, yeah, it's very 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 good stuff. Uh, really enjoyed that that issue seven and uh, you know we're uh, we're getting into to, to to further folklore with the inclusion of, of Beowulf here as well. Yeah. In addition to Arthur, so uh, yeah, great stuff. Really good stuff. This um, I think this is my favorite book just for the arts. The arts really. Lovely. Oh my god, Damora, Tamara Bond villain. That's a dream team. Just. Even in the stuff in Camelot in the other world, um, looks like something straight out of Castlevania, something like that. Um, and all the monsters, there's such this attention to detail. And they, I didn't think there's like loads of dialogue in this one, so it really gave the art a chance to breathe. And uh, the scene was it in the museum, there's some fantastic looking, yeah, fantastic there really is, looking yeah. stuff, like a lot of great use of shadows. And there's a lot of black in the book, but it's like accentuated by all the beautiful colors and like shadows on Duncan's faces you see brilliant um yeah I can't get enough of this book yep yeah yep. Duncan in general just a great great character I mean I, I like that he's so accepting of what his sort of mission is now and still a bit out of his depth he's he still is but he's 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 certainly accepted it I mean I, I love the dialogue when he walks into the British Museum and he's like right a few weeks ago, I'd have said I'd kill to be able to walk around this place by myself. Knowing I'll likely have to kill when I'm here really does take the shine off at all. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, he's, he is, but he's definitely out of his element, as you say. I mean, it, it does take his grand to save him because Galahad would have got the better of him. Um, but, and then she turns up, of course, cigarette in hand, you know, don't let yourself get distracted, you ninny. Um... <laughs> But yeah, the, the, having more time to sort of uh, spend in this world is just, it's its a real treat. I, I'm with Roddy, I would put this in my top three indie books at the moment, and it has been yeah. since issue one. Uh, always goes top top of the pile. And I was wondering what literary character they were, they were going to bring in. And then when I saw all the foes of Beowulf, I just went, oh, fantastic. This is, yeah. this is rich, fertile ground to jump onto, you know? I think it's it's interesting because they they told the story and now it's like they're trying to raise the stakes. Yeah. Whereas I kind of feel like not to bang on about it, but as much as I love folklore, it felt like it could have gone on just to the same thing. It wasn't gonna go to another place. It mm-hmm. just felt like it maybe should have continued. But yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so that is Once in Future 7. Uh, again, it's a bit of a theme in this podcast, but again, another one of those titles. Now it's in trade. That'll always be in the shelf. Uh, uh, a Coffee and Heroes, so that's Once in Future. Uh, a few other wee indie books to have a look at. Uh, what have we got up next? Bit of, bit of uh, horror. We got, yeah. Um, don't really want to get into this too much because I think maybe number six will number six i think is the end of it isn't it so we'll maybe get to it there but Philadelphia number five by rodney barnes and jason sean alexander speaking of art absolutely stunning Ooh, stuff in this book i don't know what the style is but it's so gothic scratchy and gothic and beautiful it reminds me of like the film Candyman. it's like the the dirt and the grit but in this one you've got 
vampires instead of you know the horrible Candyman. Um, I love the themes in it. Um, basically, in this one, John Adams, his plan plan has came to fruition, and it's after the long is it the long dark night? Basically, it's called and. Yeah, um, I think talk about it number six when it's all over. But yeah, so good. Really, I'm glad you, glad you just made this one, Roddy. The, um, I love the panel structure is amazing as well. And always, it's always um, really inventive, and I love, I love how they play with the pages. And you know, there's a big, um, there's a really cool double page splash page, which I just you have to see. Yeah. yeah, it's like oh. a, it's it's kind of like a cross between uh, Dracula and the Wire. <laughs> yeah, it? yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> the book you never knew you needed until now. <laughs> yeah, the the art style in it reminds me. I don't know if, if you guys remember, but remember when you used to play the Max Payne games and you used to get like little comic strips, sort of cutscenes in between the action of the game. Very similar style to that, as you say, Roddy, very gritty and noiry, but obviously with this it's then got that supernatural element as well. So it's also um I feel it's pretty relevant to what's happening today, despite being about vampires. Um there's a lot of I think the it's not a spoiler because the final line is um I think it's like we need to talk about patriotism or something. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Very good. Cool. Uh, so, Philadelphia number five, and then there's a uh, a new number one, uh, your traditional vault comic of the week, Roddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me just find it here in my pile. Um, this one was really interesting because I didn't know what to expect. I was promised um, solar punk, which is a subgenre that I'm pretty interested in. Um, solar punk is a hopeful and optimistic look at science fiction with the use of um, probably will have the use of solar technology and you know green energy that kind of thing um so this one was by zach thompson and emily horn zach thompson we know from uh the western book unbound undone I, by blood undone by blood, blood oh yeah and, um what's the other western one uh, no i'm thinking of the wrong one anyway blood. i'm thinking of zach kaplan i think oh join the future tomorrow one yeah um, this this one was really interesting because when we talk about vault, you kind of think um, very literary, full of like witty prose. So I thought this was going to be something like that, but it's to me it felt like it was somebody had plucked it straight out of the 1980s, and it's really good, really really good. It felt like um, sort of like classic fun sci-fi, and like. I don't mean this as a knock on vault books, but they're not immediately fun. If you kind of catch my drift, it felt like uh, maybe more of a Marvel title from the eighties, you know, something really easy to pick up and read Um, the art in it by it's Alberto Albuquerque. It's really gorgeous, really nice throwback style. And there's loads of um, um, sort of really cool lettering touches as well, which I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, really cool. And again, really unique and inventive uh, panel structures, um, which I really enjoy. So yeah, um, that's that's that. Um, you probably the only thing with the vault books is when you talk about them, you're like, oh, caveat. Yeah, it's probably really hard to find them. Yeah, <laughs> they do, they don't do the biggest of print it. runs. Yeah. 
it's uh they can be a little tricky to track down but they are starting to release more and more trades at the moment you know wasn't fault the savage shores was fault wasn't it uh so we've got it in store we've got black stars above pre-ordered which was another vault title so it's certainly something if you like the sound of them don't just immediately give up or anything like that that they are starting to get better with their trade releases but be yeah, very much with the single issues if it's something you're looking for for the personal collection it's always best to get on the pre-orders but again that's the interesting thing about comics you know you're you're taking a punt on something you might not actually enjoy you know so um <laughs> But uh, yeah, uh, I see as well then you've got caught up with a title I chatted about before, Roddy. You got around reading Straczynski's Resistance. Oh, uh, yeah. Anything Straczynski, big fan of Babylon 5. Um, yeah, this was, I wouldn't say it was the most exciting first uh, issue. And I'm really intrigued to see how it this AWA universe, um, it's so, and an AWA, they're sort of like a new comic book company and they've got, they've even got an imprint within themselves now called Upshot. And this one was the resistance issue one of six by J. Michael Straczynski, Mike Diodato Jr. Who Keith probably is a big fan of mm-hmm. and Frank Martin as well. Um, if you know Straczynski, you probably know what you're going to get with this one. Um, witty sci-fi themes. Um, yeah, I love, especially love the art artwork in it. It's a fantastic book. Really intrigued to see how it, because um, these books are supposed to link together. Yeah, That's they're the really interesting part. Yeah, they're all supposed to be part of the the same universe essentially, which is all well and good when you're doing just superhero stories and stuff like that. But when you're doing things like this which is just more down-to-earth real world stuff i suppose uh we chat a little bit before about the awa stuff you know red border and archangel eight and hotel i'm i'm really impressed with their stuff so far and they've got some some big names on them you know uh, i know ennis has signed up to do a book with them as well obviously it's straczynski and and so on and so forth so yeah some some good good talent on on uh, those titles so from the real world and the uh, more witty stuff to the ridiculous, this, believe it or not, is our second biggest indie pool. Transformers versus Terminator. <laughs> our, our influence has worked. <laughs> what did you guys... Well well done. Well, <laughs> I, I, I still don't know what to think of this. It was almost like an alternate take on the Terminator movie, but... The Terminators are the good guys and the Transformers are the bad guys and it's yeah, it it's sort of sort of They have turned they've turned it they've taken the 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 story that we know of the original Terminator and they've turned it on its head. Yeah. Uh which I th- and I think they've done it really well. Um sadly the, the, the main character in it looks nothing like Arnie. I don't think. Uh, oh, they gone. try. They try a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh but yeah, I mean the the, the the crux of it is that in the future, uh, you know, in an alternative, an alternative Terminator future, you know, they, the uh, the Transformers are waging a war on Skynet and are finally on the on a, on a way to on the way to destroying Skynet and it, it's, you know, and and so the the Terminators send a Terminator back to the future in order to destroy the Transformers in Arc One. Before that, they before they emerge in in 1984, uh, you know, and on the way, I guess the Terminator meets Sarah Connor, who is directing 
the Terminator 2 Arg 1 under the volcano. Uh, you know, the Transformers ship from the original series that crashed millions of years ago and is then awoken whenever the volcano erupts. Isn't that right? Yeah. Um, absolute madness. Absolute madness. And they, they did it really well, I thought. They did a great job. Yeah, the um, so the story was by David Marriott, Tom Waltz, and John Barber. I think they're all sort of editors at IDW. Um, the art's by Alex Milne, who I really like. It feels like um, feels like he's just sort of obviously the Arnie and Sarah Connor things. You know, they are don't really look like each other, but um, he tried to draw like a you know like the Transformers cartoon. It feels. And yeah, he really, yeah. He really kind of nails those facial expressions. And I mean, the only the, thing I, oh. there's there's some great even the scenes in it, Roddy. You know the, you know the where the you know the, he appears crouched down and naked, and uh, you know in the in the truck stop sort of thing, and uh, you know from Terminator Two nearly, and it's it's, it's great stuff. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, no, it's okay. Um, the only thing I didn't really like is um the colors. I thought the colors were, don't know, a bit. Flat. strange bland mm. and sickly at times like there's weird pinks and yellows and i think they just didn't really know what to go for because there's some really nice bits like the there's a scene where they turn up at the volcano at the arc and it looks really good mm-hmm. um but then there's other pits like the, um, when he steals a truck um it's just like weird weird sort of colors um don't really pop or do anything exciting unfortunately and i think they didn't really know what to go with like do you go with a cartoony transformers they're stuck between cartoon? two stools there yeah or do yeah. they go the gritty sort of terminator aesthetic i don't know if they were yeah, yeah. sort of stuck there yeah. but yeah it's, but really, it's, good really, button, wasn't it? it's really interesting you know it's really interesting how they how they frame it you know or how the terminator frames it to sarah connor that you know he's he's here to stop the invading the invading machine life forms you know and she's like well what about you? You're a machine, and he's like, "Yeah, but I'm from here. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Earth. <laughs> yeah, I'm not an alien invader." <laughs> There's no consideration for the fact that the human race is scuppered. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no matter who wins. Yeah, uh-huh. so it's. Uh, I'll be interested to see. I'll be interested to see how it goes from here. You know, is it? Is it going to be? You know, the the Autobots and the Decepticons against this one Terminator, in which case I don't fancy his chances. Uh, you know, or what? I, I just, I'm really interested to see where the story goes from here, as ridiculous as it is. You know, <laughs> so it's, yeah. It seems like the kind of comic that, you know, you thought up in your brain when you were like 13 years old and you were watching Terminator when you weren't old enough to watch it and, you know, watching the Transformers TV show and thinking, you know, what would happen if the two of them get into a fight, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, it definitely does have a certain charm. Has a certain charm to it, certainly. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it seems to me what someone has gone is like, okay, so in the original Terminator movie, Arnie went back to 1984. What else was happening in 1984 in culture? Oh, why the Transformers? Yeah, that was a thing. Transformers 1984. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, it's our uh, it's our second biggest pull for indie titles in the store. Uh, Undiscovered Country is the only one that's. Or more people's pull lists. But yeah, people wow. just got really excited for this. Uh, yeah, it just uh, clearly appeals to the, the 80s kid and all of us, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, cool, so that's Transformers vs. Terminator number one. So just one final title I'm just going to throw a little bit of love for. I think Roddy might be reading it as well. 
Um, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd pick the first title actually is uh, the first issue of it as a pick of the week um, a few months back and this is uh, a title called Tomorrow which is written by Peter Milligan uh, art by Jesus Hervas a colorist who I think is important to mention after what you were saying about Transformers Terminator uh, James Devlin and then Clem Robbins letter so Tomorrow as a as anybody who knows me well enough knows, I'm a sucker friend of the world stories, you know, why the last man being the obvious example. But whereas in that title, it's uh, an end of the world scenario where, you know, the whole population of men are, are killed off. In this one, it's actually all the adults. So it's almost like what would happen if kids were left to rule the earth. There are exceptions to it. There are still adults around, but it's a majority of them. Uh, the main crux of this story is a, is, um, a brother-sister team who have been separated, uh, Oscar and Kira. And it's all about if they can, um, you know, find a way back to each other. You've got a police officer who's trying to find his kids. His wife was involved in a car crash. Uh, so you've got all these different separate stories going on at the same time with lots of world building uh, and showing how, you know, kids would act if they did take over the world. And by and large, you know, pardon my French, they're nasty little shits. Um, oh, my God. The football team? Oh, the football team with, the, like, the rich and title, with your traditional rich and title white kids. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's very harsh. And also when, uh, what do you call her, goes out... Um, Kira, is it? Yeah, when she goes out and she's wearing a bicycle helmet for protection and carrying a baseball bat. Then there's like this wee rake of kids who are carrying like axes and knives and stuff like that. So there's very Lord of the Flies influences, which Mm -hmm. one of them even talks about at one point. Uh, Just a really cool title. It looks like it's only going to be five issues. Again, this looks to me that it could have went on for longer. But uh, the first two issues of it, I've been really, really impressed with. Just really well written. me too art's lovely um you know there's there's a really creepy scene at the start as well with this big massive fat store owner who's got a couple of kids tied up and he's going to do what he wants to them but the police officer happens to come in just in time uh that kind of thing so yeah just a really really good title really class art on as well it's another one of those burger books you know karen burger obviously trying to bring back that sort of vertigo golden era a little bit uh but yeah getting getting there with a title like this because when i when i read the first one it felt like you know like kind of shuddered i was like oh it was really bleak you know same same with this one i just felt like uneasy reading it um really creepy like this i don't know like this feeling of dread you know it just felt like there's an impending sense of danger here and it's not gonna end well for these two kids I mean, it's it's another one that, and that's again another phrase I use all the time, but just efficiency of storytelling. Like, there's so much world building in these first two issues. And as you say, you care about the characters already at this point that you are fearful for what's going to happen to them. Uh, so, yeah, really good, good book, I have to say. I'm pretty sure with number one still in the shop as well. Uh, so, it might be one to jump on. So, uh, yeah, that's tomorrow, uh, number one. And that is going to bring, or number two, I beg your pardon, you're right, Keith. It's lucky you're here to keep me right. Uh, <laughs> I'll not edit that out or anything. I'll just leave it in there. Um, so, yeah, so that brings it into a rather mammoth uh, week of releases. Uh, obviously, we always like to then go on to the titles we're looking forward to for the next uh, the next release day. So this was an interesting one in our notes when it was first put up because... 
Uh, I had my three titles written down. Roddy wrote something like, I have no freaking clue. And Keith wrote something like, I have no bloody idea what's coming out. Um, I wouldn't say freaking. Uh, I'm a family. You either swear or you don't. Uh, well, I try my best to be family friendly every so often. But <laughs> but yeah, so the way the pull lists are going to work, work uh, I, I touched upon a little bit at the start, but just to you know, clarify it again. So for the next six to seven weeks, or six to eight weeks, sorry, it's going to be a fortnightly release. In America, it's still weekly. Uh, so there are titles out May 20th. But for us, we're going to be getting May 20th titles and May 27th in one week in one big delivery. It's just to help out with the social distancing with Diamond at their warehouse and looking after their employees and so forth. So it's almost as if Diamond knew that you guys didn't have a clue what was coming out because as we were talking about it, they sent me a list of what's coming out with <laughs> next, next week's delivery. So uh, for I'm me, I know it's, it's you know, and being responsible as well with their warehouse staff, mm-hmm. it's, you know, maybe they're turning over so, a new leaf. So uh, yeah, when it comes to the three titles I'm looking forward to most, uh, Deceased Unkillables is high up the list. Uh, number two was my pick of the week, the week it was released. And three is actually the end of this little mini series. So looking forward to that. Uh, Superman Up in the Sky hits with a, a hardcover edition. Uh, again, anyone who's listened to us before knows how highly I hold that title. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting the hardcover of that. It's one of those rare examples of something I collect the singles of, but I need a, I need a trade or a hardcover of it as well. Uh and then the last one's a bit more of a punt, but uh, again, it's the whole follow the creators. Uh, Kieran Gillen is launching a new title called Ludocrats, uh, which is coming with a new number one, I believe, is an image title. So so that's uh, mine. How about yourself, Roddy? Um, yeah, I must say I'm pretty tempted by that Superman up in the sky after all your lovely words about it. Um, so I might uh, talk to you all fair about that one. Um, I'm also looking forward to, we talked earlier about Spider-Man. In a couple of weeks, we'll have Amazing Spider-Man 43. So looking forward to seeing how that continues. Um, we've also got, got a nice wee balance here of my, Ooh, look my at titles. That. I've got one Marvel, one DC, one Indie. Um, the DC title is Daphne Byrne, number four. I think that's a four or six. So that's a nice horror title from Joe Hill's Hill House Comics. And yeah, G.I. Joe, we were talking about uh, our love for all things 80. So I'm looking forward to number six of G.I. Joe returning. And yeah, what about you, Keith? Me, I've got, uh, I guess, two two endings and a beginning. Um, So... Uh, Venom 25 is going to be the end of, ending of the, the, the Venom Island arc. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, think, I think one of the, one of the uh, solicitations had that Eddie was struck, stuck between a brock and a hard place, which I just thought was fantastic. <laughs> so that'll be the end of uh, Venom Island. Um, Farmhand 15 uh, by Rob Guillory. It's the end of uh, Farmhand has been running in, in five-issue seasons. So this will be the end of uh, of season three of Farmhand, and uh, they've really been building up to to, to a real, uh, I guess, a real cataclysmic sort of conclusion um, as as we get towards Jedediah's greatest secret being revealed. So, uh, really looking forward to that. And then for the beginning is Benjamin Percy's Year Zero Number One, his zombie thriller, um, which I think we've all been looking forward to. Mm-hmm. That's from yeah. So I'm really looking forward to 
to that as well. So year zero so one, then yep. AWA title. Just AWA, that's who it is. It. Yeah, yep. So, uh, so yeah, that's my three. Year zero one, Venom twenty five, and Farmhand fifteen. Cool. So yeah, that's pretty much going to do it for us. Uh, we do just have sort of one last little announcement uh, regarding the podcast. So we always want the podcast to be a resource for people. You know, obviously we talk about the stuff that we really enjoy. Uh, we try to recommend stuff as much as possible. We have the previews podcast where we're highlighting upcoming titles. We have the book clubs that, are, you know, recommending titles we think deserve a little bit of a deep dive into. We're going to be starting off a new podcast one. It's something that's come about, obviously, given the situation and, you know, we are slightly cooped up in our houses, so to speak, and so forth. So, We've got a new one which is going to be called Starting Points. So we do get a lot of people who come into the store who, you know, you look around at the sheer wealth of content and variety, you must, you know, think, where do I even start? Um, so what we want to do is put dedicated podcasts out called Starting Points, and each one will be <clears throat> beginning. Now, we may collaborate on these as we go through and, you know, as we come out the other side of this. But at the start, it's going to be individual ones, and we're all going to, we're all going to basically look at our wealth of knowledge and put it to good use. So for myself, such I'll, as it is. Such a, well, you know, such as it is, you know, our word is gospel, clearly. But these are just going to be starting points. It's going to be recommendations for certain characters or certain genres uh, within the comic industry. So as an example, you know, the first one is going to be starting points for Batman. You know, these are not necessarily going to be, these are our three favorite Batman titles or my three favorite Batman titles. What it's going to be is, if you're a new reader and you're looking to get into this character, these are three different points you could start with. Um, so I'll be predominantly dealing with DC stuff. Uh, Keith will be uh, very kindly dealing with predominantly Marvel stuff. And Roddy has the uh... biggest birth in the world <laughs> to deal with indie stuff. I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to the challenge. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's just because there is such so much to choose from we just want to try and whittle it down you know we want to we do want to be a resource as much as possible with these podcasts as well and you know help people discover new stories and help them discover a, a love of characters you know there you know for example i mean my second one i'm working on at the moment is superman and you know anybody who knows me knows i'm a batman guy through and through but you know if you get the right writer on certain material they can elevate that character brilliantly so um i'm looking forward to that one uh so my first one's batman your first one keith will be i'm gonna go for spidey your friendly neighborhood spider-man and have you whittled one down roddy yet it'll be a genre piece but i haven't settled on my idea yet. close to the chest run past you is off there okay so and we're talking about uh you know, I guess we're talking about, you know, runs or, or, or stories or, or collections or one shots or, you know, anything really that, that, that makes for a good a good starting point or a good introduction to a character at, at, at some point during that, that character's career. Well, that's it. The whole idea would be that you've never read anything from this character before. Maybe you've exposure through movie adaptations or TV shows or th that kind of stuff. But the idea behind it would be like you know nothing about these characters going in or at the very least you know the bare essentials but you know we don't want to throw you into the middle of runs or or, or big storylines it'll be a, a clean slate start here and this will then lead to other stuff so as i say i've i've got the the batman one recorded so we'll be we'll fire that out later this week put a bit of distance between this one and that one but 
and then we'll go from there. But I just think it's going to prove a really good resource, and you know, it's something we uh, something we like to do. You know, we like to make it as easy as possible to get into comics because it is such a a large industry and so much choice. So. Again, we can only give you our recommendations, but we do think it'll prove really, really helpful. So, um, yeah, it was it was good fun doing the Batman one. It was hard nailing it down to three, and I believe you're having even more trouble keeping nailing Spider Man down to three. <laughs> you may have you may have witnessed my notes as they grow and grow. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that one, guys. Um, but in the meantime, reviews wise, with everything being fortnightly, we'll probably be back on a fortnightly basis for the forthcoming future so pleasure as always guys great to chat comics again and uh we will look forward to uh, our next release day and our next podcast so until then good night yeah stay safe don't stay alert (laughs) keep on winging it you just had to get political at the end there (laughs) bye (laughs) bye bye